0: Welcome back to Extraneous
1: Supernatural. Extraneous is a mischief media podcast. Heck yeah, welcome back to the empire, (laughs) y'all. That's officially a thing. I'm making it a thing. We're going to secret it into
0: existence. If you guys wound up here at episode four somehow without listening to the first three episodes, what's wrong with you? We're delightful. Go back and listen to episodes one through three so we can really
1: like get into the meat of this. Yes, yeah, sincerely. Go back and listen to the other ones. We are your best friends. Check out the His Dark Materials coming yeah. on It's uh, Thursdays. so We're on Mondays. They're on Thursdays.
0: Honestly, check out all the other Mischief Media podcasts.
1: Yeah, yeah. See what's going on. All right. This has been the plug at the top. Plug, plug, plug. All right. Now we're gonna unplug. I'm Leah and I'm Takiya. Hey, and now we're talking about season four. Oh my
0: god, <laughs> season four. Season four is supernatural. Season four. I think so. like whatever I'm oh. describing supernatural. What I'm really describing is, is season, season
1: four. <laughs> <laughs> God, season four is so good. And actually, if we were to give a uh, a really cool summary, <laughs> no, this is not a really cool summary. Listen, I'm just gonna live in the in my truth, and that is the the DVD <laughs> summaries are the best things ever. Like I don't know who wrote them, but they're a hero. I am really glad we landed on this. <laughs> okay, what happens in season four? Resurrection. After enduring unspeakable torture, Dean escapes from hell, rescued by an all powerful creature he's never seen before. And Angel. (laughs) This warrior of God recruits Sam and Dean in heaven's battle against hell amid whispers that a certain fallen angel will soon be freed from his prison deep in hell. Lucifer. If Sam
0: and Dean can't stop it, if Lucifer walks free, he'll bring on the apocalypse. Meanwhile, the Winchester brothers reunite and hit the road, battling the supernatural wherever they go. They encounter demons, spirits, Dracula himself, and even a drunk, heavily armed, (laughs) seven-foot-tall teddy bear. All the while, the ultimate war draws them into its horror throughout this enthralling 6 (laughs) disc, 22-episode season four. Caught between heaven and hell, between God and the devil, the Winchester brothers must battle for the future of humankind.
1: Yeah! Six-discs, 22-episodes. It's so good. All right, so. Rate the season. What is it? Okay. Truly watching back season four. I really think this is the best season of Supernatural. So
0: the one thing that I will say is that I feel like season four and season five are not the same season, but like are so paired. Season four really begins all of the things that come to fruition in season five. I want to call it the best, but I also think that it's that coupling that is like magic, like perfect supernatural beautifulness. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that happen in season four really pay off once you get to season five, I feel like. And so I, oh, it's such a good season yeah. and I can't, I'm really excited to get to the the top five. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't, I'm not excited to get
1: to the top five. <laughs> if that makes you feel <laughs> like, I just, it was awful picking.
0: It was so natural for me. I barely had to watch them to be like, this is it. These are the five that I love. Sorry, we're getting off topic. We are, sorry. Um, but season four to me is probably, I, I would say one of the best. I don't know that I could. Differentiate between four and five when it comes to picking the ultimate vest.
1: You're the one that wants to rank them, so if we end up ranking these, <laughs> like I, it's oh hard no. because I haven't I haven't jumped into season five yet because I wanted to let season four breathe in my brain. Yeah, I watched the I watched the first episode. Did you? I'm <laughs> trash. I started it and I was like, no, 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 no. I looked at the list of episodes. And I said it about season three and that there was no episode that I, like, they were all fine. There were ones I didn't care about. There's no episode that I dislike in this entire season. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that I assume I dislike, like, the one with the the guy turning into the Rougarou, like, because I, I can't stand uh, no, but people that one, eating yeah. things, like, it makes me want to throw up. But also that one ends up being important. It's super important. It's really well done. Like, there is no episode in this season that is a waste. Yes. There are seasons that, like, don't delve into like, we forget that the apocalypse is happening. This Actually, season four is just so good. It's so good. There are a couple of, we're going to get
0: deeper into to this. Yes, I will say that 22 how many? 22. Twenty-two episodes is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, especially coming off of just re-watching season three yeah. and going into season four, you're like, oh, did they need this many episodes? So, okay, so see, yes. And we live in a world now where prestige television and like, yeah, it's we, I feel like we've adopted the like BBC British like 15 mm-hmm. episode seasons across the board on a lot of things. I was watching this feeling like this could have been a tighter story.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. It, it's one of those things where like, yeah, it could have been a tighter story but to make it a tighter story we cut episodes I don't want to cut wishful thinking I don't want to cut yellow fever Uh I I don't want to cut sex and violence they're all good episodes I enjoy them all for different reasons and they might not be important to the plot but like I don't know what it is. I really think... I'm not sure because, again, I'm giving a breather. I think this might... Season four might be the pinnacle of Supernatural for me.
0: Again, Yeah, it is quintessential. It is Supernatural. Fuck me. No.
1: (laughs) I'm not gonna... It's too early to start swearing, okay? We're gonna save the swearing for later.
0: Let's talk about the title card. Speaking of quintessential Supernatural, Mm -hmm. honestly, the title card goes back to a little bit of a simpler design. Mm -hmm. It starts with the black and white. There's something flapping Mm -hmm. in the background, but the black... On top of the white, also really reminds me of smoke. So it's both the angel wings because those are black. Um, every time we see them, yeah. And also, it reminds me a lot of the demon smoke and the chaos in that. I think it's a lot of
1: um, evolution of the yes. title card in this one, where we come, we came off of a certain type of feeling into this one. Like I, it feels like it's an evolved state.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And then after the flapping, we get like a very simple font. Yeah, the skinny, Ta- yeah, letters. the thin letters, red on black, which is. Again, if the white on black is to symbolize, like, the angels and the wings and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. I think red on black, very dark, very demonic, very, honestly, like, the Lucifer side of the equation that's happening this season. It's almost like we're talking about heaven and hell this season. It's almost
1: like we're talking about (laughs) heaven and hell this season. I think the wings are definitely evocative of angel wings. Like, that's what we're supposed to pull. But the, the way that they flap... And, like, it's so chaotic and it's so loud. And, like, we do hear angel flaps when angels disappear and appear. Mm -hmm. But the chaos in it always has reminded me of, like, crows. Oh raven, yeah, yeah! So like yeah. some sort of like a like on omen, bird, like an omen or a harbinger of what is to come. Yeah. So I think while we're supposed to see angels, I think we are also supposed to feel slightly panicked.
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely ominous. There's definitely something dark looming there. Like once we get through the angels flapping, the red is really reminiscent of like blood. Demon blood plays a large role this season, Ooh, and boy. it's a really interesting juxtaposition and i think that that goes to show the juxtaposition of dean versus sam in a lot of ways oh yeah because they're trying to create this dichotomy but they're frustrating it and complicating it at every turn yeah so like who's good who's bad who's right who's wrong who's trying to save the world who's trying to end it there's that question i think is constantly being complicated
1: Mm -hmm. so the recurring themes or tropes That we get in this season are plentiful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's season four. So, like, I think they officially start to be tropes. It's supposed to be something Mm -hmm. that we've seen before and that we're like, man, this happens. (laughs) Sam, you've got a really bad track record with women. Like, (laughs) if Sam sleeps with
1: someone, they're probably like, dead or evil. Dead or evil. Let's see. What else is there? Being a good soldier versus following orders blindly is something that is explored a lot in seasons one of two. Uh In seasons one and two, when we talk about the Winchesters and John, and it comes up again here when we talk about the angels and God. Oh, yeah. It is so important. And it like, and like the angels say it, like I think Castiel says to Dean at some point, like, didn't you follow your father's orders whenever (laughs) he said anything? And Dean just kind of blinks at him and he can't deny that.
0: And Cass really goes through, I think, the struggle that Mm -hmm. Dean himself is going through with whether or not to trust his own instincts or to follow along with what he's being told to be that good soldier. Honestly, we will talk about this more when we get to, like, talking about angels in detail, Uh but, like, the idea of the angel garrison and, like, this very militaristic way of talking about Mm -hmm. following orders and, like, doing good uh, is really interesting and I think goes into that and really parallels the way that Sam and Dean were brought up and
1: Yeah. And that ties in too closely with what somebody does for the love of their father. Oh, or for just, like, approval. Approval, it feels yeah. like
0: there's definitely this idea, the idea of the looming father figure started with John Winchester, mm-hmm. but, like, very quickly God becomes this looming father figure in Supernatural. It's
1: set up with the demons as well, because yeah. when we when we talk about Ruby's final reveal and we talk about uh, the flashback with Azazel, yes. like, that, it, it is very much like they are and doing like it, it for it, Lucifer.
0: And all of these father figures are unknowable. The demons haven't actually... Actually, seen Lucifer because he's been locked in the cage. No one's seen God in a millennia or something uh-huh. because one, not everyone is allowed to, but also he, uh, what we learn later is that he's been kind of absent. And John is also this unknowable father figure. And mm-hmm. so it's really, it's very, very interesting to watch it played out against all of these factions. Mm-hmm.
1: Destiny versus Free Will.
0: <sighs> oh
1: man. Is one, is probably, if not the biggest, is the big, like, So I think that one of the questions that
0: I'm continuously asking myself while watching season four is how much was pre-planned or predestined and how much of it is everyone adapting to changes and changing what they want or desire because certain things have happened. So you look at Dean breaking the first seal in hell. Mm-hmm. Is it true that the angels were trying to stop him? Or did the angels always want the apocalypse to happen?
1: I think what we are supposed to assume by the end of the season with Zachariah's revelation to Dean is that they were always aiming towards apocalypse. Yeah. So when John Winchester did not break and John escapes hell... Mm-hmm we have to wait a second. And then Dean ends up in hell and I think that's the only, why else would the angels wait four months
0: to go get Dean? Yeah, and Zachariah makes it really clear. I think he says, how could this happen if the upper management didn't want it to happen? And so that in and of itself is really interesting and troubling and there's definitely pieces of that happening with the demons and with you know, seeing how far Azazel and Lilith and Ruby's Mm -hmm. plan are actually one plan. At the beginning, I think we're supposed to believe that Lilith comes up and Lilith Plan is contrary to or slightly different for, than what Azazel wanted, and that Ruby is, you know, on the side of yeah. good. But it's, I think, it's very clear by the end that these are all
1: one plan. This is one, oh, yeah. one destiny, I suppose. It is the bigger like, philosophical discussion outside of Supernatural, where it's like, is there a difference between destiny and free will? Uh, the choices that we make are always a part of our destiny. It's like God controls the macro and we control the micro, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. It's it's very interesting, especially because Dean constantly rails against us. Dest- I don't believe in oh, destiny. Yeah. I don't. I, I can't be destined to do or whatever. He's a good soldier, and he follows along. But Not only is he a good soldier, but he also is like, when he argues with Sam, he's always like, especially during the season he does a lot of well the angel said it was me so it has to be me when dean doesn't know what to do he falls back upon what he's been told and that is playing into destiny but when it comes like when it comes up to his face and somebody tells him he has to do something he immediately fights against it it is it's a really interesting dichotomy even though the two options are very close together
0: i think that dean is fighting destiny by choosing to go along with it. Yeah. Like I think that Dean, like in those moments when Dean is like the angel said it said it is me, so it has to be me. I think he's honestly what he's really saying is so it doesn't have to be you, Sam. Mm-hmm. Right? That's mm-hmm. what he's trying to get across. Yeah. Honestly, it's that they have equal and opposite destinies. Right? Sam thinks that he's supposed to because he has all of this power, and he's the stronger and brother. He's the strong, quote unquote, stronger brother. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to stop it, and Dean is being told by the angels on his shoulder that he's supposed to stop it. Mm-hmm. And what's really the truth is that, like, I mean, they're both supposed to kill Lilith, which is to start it.
1: I think that's what it is, right? The destiny part of this like obviously no one was ever meant to stop the apocalypse no so dean's destiny is to defeat lucifer because of it's almost getting too close to season five because it's almost like dean's destiny was to fail it's so strange especially when you see him railing against it you see casco do things that chuck hasn't foreseen like even though that's the free will portion of this they are going against the grain it is still part of the overall plan yeah dean still has to lose
0: yeah absolutely um and so there is no free will everything is destiny
1: The characters of Dean and Sam both have very similar but completely different fears, and I think they are brought up in very stark contrast in this season, and it's Dean fears being abandoned and Sam fears being rejected. Both of those things are when you end up being alone, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they are entirely different ways. Mm -hmm. So we we see it every time Sam and Dean argue and Sam goes off on his own. Like, Dean's whole, if you walk out that door, don't you ever come back. Which is exactly what John said to him. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it actively gives me, like, I want to talk about this later with When the levy Breaks. Oops, spoiler Like we're going to talk about When the levy Breaks. Um, <laughs> it is something that keeps coming up. Anytime the Winchesters have a big blowout and the two of them separate from one another and they stop talking to one another, it is because either Dean feels he's been abandoned or Sam feels that Dean is rejecting him. Like, it is yes. It is consistently, it happens with Castiel, it happens with Mary eventually. like I mean, and it's kind of, again,
0: this is going back to them having, like, equal and opposite reactions mm-hmm. or issues or things like that. Dean's fear of abandonment means that he wants to do it first. Mm -hmm. means that he holds on until the moment where it feels like things are going to break. And then he says, never come back. And I think that Sam's fear of rejection means that he often does it first. He is often the person who is telling... Dean, that what he did was wrong, or that he and and he's the one to choose to go off on his own, which then plays on each other's biggest fear. Mm -hmm. So it's all this like really nasty, very and everyone has experienced that. Everyone knows how families fight. Like that is it's this very tangled familial relationship Mm -hmm. that means that you know exactly how to push each other's buttons, and Mm -hmm. you do it subconsciously and like without even realizing it and it's just this like messy weave
1: yeah it comes every time that one of them gets irrevocably hurt by the other you can boil it down to these two ideas for the yes. most part um the last thing i want to remember uh i want to mention is a uh, trophy more than themy and it's so impressively on display here and it is that the winchesters withholding information one another is all of our downfalls. <laughs> it just it just is. If they don't tell the other one something immediately, it is going to bite them in the ass two episodes later when oh, somebody absolutely. else brings it up. And that's also like a standard like, television yeah, trope. that's TV. It is. It is I mean, it's Secret a trope for a reason. man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the two of them are just the worst. And
0: I think that they take it a... Because they are so familiar with each other and because they honestly spend so much time together in a very small car, they always seem to know that the other is keeping a secret Mm -hmm. and I would have to go back and track it. So, like, we'll be tracking it through this rewatch. But I think that there's always a moment when it's like, that's okay, you can keep your secret. And it's always nonsense.
1: No, it's always nonsense. (laughs) Also, it ties into the abandonment and rejection. When Dean finds out that Sam has been withholding things, Dean feels that Sam has just completely decided that Dean is not worthy of this information. Yeah. So to Dean, he feels like he's being abandoned by his brother because his brother won't let him in. When Dean does not tell Sam things, it's because Sam assumes that Dean does not trust him. Yeah. Which is a form of rejection. Yes. I'm telling you, like, every time it just boils down to these two slightly different things of I don't trust you, but in slightly different ways. Yes. Also, yes. I hate when they fucking lie to each other. <laughs> just, It's actually my least favorite TV trope in general. It's just me yelling at a television. like, just tell
0: them the truth! It's
1: just me yelling. The second this season started, I was like, oh, the lies. so good Top. Oh. Five top five top five. I'm not I'm not can I just need to take a moment to express the fact that it was oh. so difficult. Wow, these are very similar lists. Yeah. This is looking at it for the first time. So I I waited into the last second to Oh, does put, that mean you looked at my list? I did see your list when I went to input mine. I did not change my answers. I changed one of my answers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it wasn't because of your list. To be fair, I think what this top five is identifying, and honestly, maybe this will go before or after we actually give the top five. We're doing it right now. It's what, I think, what I think this top five identifies is that in season four, and definitely in season five, the fact that Leah and I think about the show slightly differently mm-hmm. and like pick our favorite episodes for different reasons converges. Yes. Because everything in season four starts to be... It, like pivotal mm-hmm. to the overarching story yeah. and they're also just like point blank phena- phenomenal episodes yeah, they're great. so it definitely starts to converge which is hilarious yeah. to me
1: and like as a spoiler alert like again i said it was really hard it was really devastating for me to not be able to put lazarus rising on this list i adored that episode it's and it's so good and it's so important but like it didn't fit and then I'm also I wrote a shout out on here to both wishful thinking and it's a terrible life. I, I love, love those wishful li- thinking. I love wishful thinking so much. It's so great, and it's a terrible life is the same. I adore those episodes. They're two of my favorite episodes in the season overall. But I didn't include them on this list. Yes. So all right, let's with do all this. of those caveats. Uh, my top five is in the beginning, heaven and hell, on the head of a pin, the monster at the end of this book, when the levee breaks.
0: And my top five is in the beginning. Heaven and Hell, Death Takes a Holiday, The Monster at the End of This Book, and Lucifer Rising. Yeah.
1: And this is another one where each of us went to the finale, and yeah. I picked the setup, and you picked the... The, the payoff. Co- yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we did the same thing in season two. That's also really interesting, well,
0: and I think, yeah. again, ties back into the way that we watch it. <laughs> um, wow, we're learning so much about ourselves, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a really big moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, talk... Let's... Let's talk about In the Beginning. Uh, I don't know how to talk about In the so Beginning. So, In the
0: Beginning... Honestly, a lot of these episodes feel like a type of payoff for mm-hmm. me. In the beginning okay. is when you realize going back to the scene where Mary Winchester Ugh. looks up at Ugh. the yellow-eyed demon and is like, you, this is when you figure out what was going on there. And so it is such an interesting episode where casts Sends Dean back in time,
1: I don't think, to really
0: do anything, just to learn.
1: It's to learn that, and it's also, I think this ties into the destiny thing again, right? I think has is showing Dean that part of this is destiny. This was always meant to occur. You were always going to be a hunter. Even, well, always, but you know what I mean. Like, there's a reason all these things occurred, and you can't change it now. Yes. I think that's a lot of what it is. The revelation of Mary and her family being hunters. It is so not what you anticipate. I don't know how to explain it, but I remember watching it the first time, and when you learned, like, being absolutely shocked yes. and then being like oh, oh yes, yes of course because this otherwise
0: otherwise i imagine a world i i tell my head canon is like john going through things after mary's death and realizing that mary has all of these secrets right because i don't he doesn't know at the end of in the beginning he comes back Mm-mm i am I assume she makes up some sort of phenomenal excuse <laughs> <laughs> they run off and get married, so it 's after mary 's death that John realizes and I think that John knew all like I think that john the John that was raising the boys knew that Mary was a hunter
1: i don 't know if he knew that she was mm, i'm not sure uh, honestly, this is one of those moments where i I'm looking forward to watching season five and just- Six, six to to get a little bit more of that because I don't. Well, I mean quite this remember. season.
0: I mean this season's a good example, right? Because not this season, sorry, not season uh, four, but the season thirteen when we have the three hundredth episode where John comes back, yes. and he's pulled out of time, and he doesn't seem quite that shocked that Mary's hanging out
1: with them. True, although, like, in, in complete fairness, like, we couldn't, that episode, we didn't have a lot of time. To, <laughs> that episode, we just, I, that should have been a three-hour episode. I wasn't know what the hell they were thinking, like, why wasn't this just nothing but table talk the whole time?
0: It's a phenomenal episode it's where you really get good. a lot of the groundwork for, who the boys are, I think that Dean is irrevocably changed by meeting his mother in that time of her life and realizing how much she didn't want this for them. Hold on,
1: Sam, mom's a babe. <laughs> I'm going to hell again. It's like the dumbest line, but it cracks me up every damn time. <laughs> um, so it's a pheno- it's a phenomenal episode, yeah. hands down. I think both of us agree. It's so it's so good. It's so important. Like it just it just is. Heaven and Hell. Oh, Boise. Yeah. <laughs> Rewatching it, I didn't realize just how good this episode was until it happened, and then I was like, "Well, oops." So I stopped in the middle of this two-parter, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is
0: just like, honestly, hell. <laughs> like it was not not great, not great. It's a great episode. I love the setup of Anna. Yes. Um, I love the idea. It introduces so many ideas of about angels.
1: Mm-hmm. The fact that Anna chose to fall is a is a, a very interesting point because at the moment the only fallen angel we know is Lucifer and he is evil. Uh-huh. He's he's Lucifer. He's the devil. He's in the pit. He's gonna cause hell on earth and end everything. So when we learn that Anna chose to fall because she doubted and like all this other stuff, it is a way to not show sympathy sympathy for the devil. Uh, <laughs> season five premiere uh, to not it's not sympathy for Lucifer, but it is it is another step towards seeing that the angels are not. All perfect. They are fallible, and simply saying that they are fallible is the thing that causes them to fall. Like it is, it is seeing the cracks in the facade of everything. Is understanding that Anna, who's a who was a good soldier and, and led a garrison and all this other stuff, seeing the fact that she was able to doubt. Oh yeah, is like really. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, you can tell that Castiel still has a bit of reverence for her mm-hmm. in the way that he talks about her leading the garrison, mm-hmm. uh, which I think again g- goes straight into what you were saying is that like even even the good can question, mm-hmm. and that questioning is what leads people to fall.
1: It's also the the two parter starts with. Most of the time being spent trying to save Anna, and then Sam explaining what happened while Dean was gone. Mm-hmm. And in that, we learn about Ruby and Sam's relationship. And then in this one, it is like, it's one of those things where it's like, boy, could you be more obvious, supernatural? Because in the last episode, we saw Sam sleep with a demon. In this one, Dean D- D- sleep sleeps on with an, an angel. angel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, it's, my God. It's so
1: obvious. And you're like, oh.
0: Also, the, like, Titanic handprint in the window.
1: <laughs> I forgot it happened until the, they zoomed out on the fogged up windows. I was like, don't you dare. And they did it. Leading into the, the scene where they sleep together, there's a really great... The conversation that they have. About emotions and how <laughs> Angel's... Because it comes up again. Dean gives it back to Castiel. What Anna says to Dean about, like, all the emotions and the feelings that she's able to have as a human and why she would prefer being a human to being an angel any day. Yeah. And it's Dean realizing that, like, the good outweighs the bad is the same thing that comes up in the finale. Where Castiel's like, all I see is suffering and hatred and da-da-da-whatever. And Dean's like, I would take all of that, all of it, Mm -hmm. to to continue to have the good.
0: Yeah. And we see Anna talk about God in a very humanizing, I guess, kind Mm -hmm. of way. Like, even Dean has that moment where he's like, ha, I know the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, which The absent father. Yeah, the absent father trying to, like, seeking approval, but not really knowing how to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is def- it's definitely really interesting. And I think that it helps Dean understand. I think that Dean Dean from Jump was like, angels are dicks. But it, it, it really helps him. It really helps him understand that not only are angels not these goodly creatures, but mm-hmm. they are also as flawed and complicated as humans are. And they're also, tro- they they are so much like him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that all comes together in this episode. Also, it's when we learn
1: uh, about Dean torturing, right? Yes, that is the, the, final, the final moment of that episode is Dean's tear-filled, probably the best crying... Jets Jensen Ackles has ever or will ever do is that episode just... I, I don't, don't know his life, maybe. <laughs> on screen, <laughs> weeping, as he explains to Sam that he was in hell for 40 years and he spent 30 being tortured every day and he fought and he fought and he fought uh-huh. and then he broke. Yep. And it is just so massively important of a revelation between the two of them.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's that is the first seal.
1: Ugh. Ugh. I will also say very quickly that um, I like the twist at the very end that they were all working together. Ruby purposefully gets herself yes. captured and leads them back, and yes. Anna purposefully, like, they get them because they know that Uriel has the grace, like, all of that. It's a really great moment of working together, the the boys, Ruby and Anna, before it all starts to fall to
0: shit. I also, like, really love, and we're not going to get a chance to talk about this, but I really love the pacing when they're telling a story in Supernatural. Like, you can feel, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, a story within a story pacing yeah. that they hit, and that is what's kind of unraveling when you realize that they were all doing this together. Is you feel like the pacing just like sort of sinks up and it's like this is happening and this is happening and this and that this is happening. Check, check, check. All of the chess pieces are in the right order. It's really hard to articulate and identify, but it's really satisfying for me. Yeah. It's something again that we see, um, we're not gonna talk about it's a terrible life, but that one I feel like has the same yes like storytelling pacing. And honestly, a little bit wishful thinking. Also, it reminds me a lot of Mystery Spot. Like that's the it's the yeah. storytelling yes, pacing yes, yes, yes. Um, that is really, really, really satisfying. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so we're obviously picking. I mean, I think that we are picking similar story beats. I think because so too. even though these aren't the same episodes, they're like one, one after, after the another. other. Mm-hmm. Death takes a holiday. First of all, I just love Tessa. So like, thanks no. for bringing Tessa back. <laughs> <laughs> There's just like no reason. I'm just like, oh, Tess is here. I like her so much. No, she's great. She's great. She commands authority and she is like, but really like softly and subtly and is like, okay, she's above all of this heaven and hell that's happening because death is a constant. And that's what I that's what I think the Reapers really bring into this ep- set of episodes is like the idea that death is a constant and when death is taken out of the equation things go sideways. And so I love it as being another seal that we see. see. It's really pushing the story forward. I love every episode that Tessa's in. I love the idea of the boys becoming ghosts. And learning, and how, learning to. how to be mm-hmm. ghosts. Um because I think that it gives them again it like enriches their understanding of the monsters that yeah, they chase Very much. Yeah. Uh, especially
1: with the little boy being the one to teach them. Yeah.
0: And honestly it's it's them. It's kind of a inverted Hunt, it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's them instead of chasing down the angry spirit, uh, one, trying to recreate death or like get death started back up. And also, it's them averting the angry spirit before they become a problem. So the little boy obviously is, like, struggling at leaving his mother and his family and all of that, and they're really able to help usher him on to the mm-hmm. next plane. It's really sad to see Pamela go, because, and, like, we have to talk about that.
1: I do. That's the other reason that I, like, I love this. Again, like, I love most of season four. I I really love this episode um, for most of the reasons that you were saying. But the revelation, not the revelation, but the moment at the end. Especially because it's red, it's again, it's like red herringed a little bit. Not red herringed, but it's um, a book ended. Mm -hmm. Where in the very beginning, Pamela whispers into Sam's ear Oh, oh, what's up? Sam's a cougar magnet. She's like, you got a great ass or whatever. Yes. And like, "What did she, uh, Dean goes, what did she say? And Sam just kind of smiles because he's not going to tell Dean that she's yeah, just complimenting yeah. his butt. And then at the very end, Pamela is the first person who's not in Sam's immediate circle mm-hmm. to tell him that there hey, is... knock it off. Yeah. Not only knock it off, but this is not good. You need to stop doing this. Her, her dying words are to whisper into Sam's ear that I know what you just did and it's not good. You yes. need to cut it out. And so when Dean asks him, what did she say? And he holds it back. It is, it is, it is just such a stark contrast, mm-hmm. or a complete contrast to what came at the beginning of the episode with Pamela.
0: Yeah, yeah. The things whispered in your ear aren't necessarily to keep. No. Um, and I like so. There's a lot going on there, but I really love the episode separate yeah. from that. I think when we talk about Pamela, I want to get into that death a little bit more. Yeah. Oh,
1: I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I then chose the follow-up episode on the head of a pin is, first of all, it includes my favorite one of my favorite images, and I think most of my favorite images from Supernatural are angel-related. Um, I'm specifically thinking of season eight, The Fall, at the end of season eight. Oh, yeah. Um, but my other one is this opening... E-reals. Oh, the opening. The opening sequence where there is the fallen angel amidst all the, like, the, the murdered angel amidst all the cars at the very opening of the episode. Oh. And And the police come to look, and it comes, the camera pans up, and it is the first time that we see the spread-out black outline of angel wings next to a dead angel. Uh-huh. And it is a gorgeous shot and it makes it, it reminds you that like, yeah, angels are dicks and Uriel's junkless, and Cass doesn't have a sense of humor and all this other stuff. But like, it reminds you that these are incredibly powerful creatures and they are, they are holy and they are otherworldly. And so to see this one dead on the ground is like a really powerful image and it's a really great way to start what becomes a very heavy episode. Oh yeah. Everything involving Dean torturing Alistair is awful to watch. Yes. In general, torture, like, tor- I don't particularly like torture. And that's as a, somebody who likes horror movies and gore movies and stuff like that. Like, torture is just difficult to watch. And watching Dean, he says to Castiel that you, if I walk through that door, you're not going to like what comes back out. Mm-hmm. And it is heartbreaking to watch Dean go through that. It's also the moment where we... Finally, even though Uriel's always been kind of an asshole, (laughs) it's he purposefully lets Alistair out. Yep. And he almost gets Dean killed. But, like, it's that turn. It's also when we see Castiel first physically go against an angel. Yeah. Even though Anna is the one that kills Uriel, Cast confronts him. Because what Uriel did was wrong. He almost got Dean killed. Mm -hmm. He lets Alistair go. And, like, Cast feels for these humans and he doesn't want them to suffer. I think the suffering of humanity is the thing that makes Castiel want to help them. Yeah. The, uh, at least in this season. I also really enjoy Sam trying to make... It, like, going dark side because he wants to save Dean. Like, he's like, I need I need to do this. I need to be strong. I need to be able to pull Alistair because Dean's not strong enough. But it's not because Dean's not strong enough. It's because he he's afraid of his brother breaking. That he might just be completely damaged.
0: Yeah. I, and I think I mean I think that Cass has a has this thing about him where it's not just the suffering of humanity that makes him want to help them. It's how much they're able to take on the chin. Mm-hmm. It's that when you look at Sam and Dean, they just like take punch after punch after punch yeah. and they keep getting up and they keep trying to make the world a better place and it seems like Cass is the angel that is true to what the original idea was. He still thinks that he's trying to yeah. avert the apocalypse and save humanity, and all of these things. He's the one who gripped Dean and rose him from per- for perdition. perdition, and I think that he's trying to do that. He's he's constantly trying to do that on a global scale. He wants to grip. He wants to grab humanity just before they break, and he's constantly
1: missing. Oof. <laughs> Sorry, I just now I just got to have a lot of Castiel feelings. I have so many Cast feelings. Especially because Castiel takes on, later he takes on Dean's penchant for self-loathing. Yeah. And the fact that Cass is like, I always fail, I always fail, is a very, I mean, it's a Winchester thing, but it's also very specifically a Dean thing. Mm -hmm. So, and this is the beginning of that, like, where Cass, even though Cass is still new and we don't know him very well, but as Dean begins to trust him and begins to... I don't know how to phrase this. Dean not wastes his time, but his time is very valuable and his trust is very valuable. And that Dean spends energy trying to get through to Castiel shows the audience that Castiel is worth that energy. And I think it is one of the reasons that we so quickly decided that we loved Castiel. It wasn't just because he was kind of silly and he cocks his head like a puppy dog. (laughs) Like all this other stuff. It is that even though Dean gets annoyed with the angels and Castiel is sometimes abrasive, is harsh at Dean or, or whatever, The fact that Dean still keeps trying to slowly reach out to him shows us that Castiel's worthy of it. And I think it is, it's another moment that is seen here. Yes,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Cast is always on the side of the humans. Mm -hmm.
1: Even when he's punished and tortured and Mm -hmm. and even when he does wrong. When Castiel does wrong in season whatever the hell it is, six, it's because he thought he was doing right by humanity. Yep all right ready yeah we both chose
0: the monster at the end of this book <gasps> so the monster at the end of this book i have a giant smile on my face because i think that it's my favorite episode of supernatural it's it's up there man i oh think like God. i think that like a hand it might be my like it is handily it is my favorite episode yeah. of supernatural i rewatched this episode so often, I barely needed to watch it, but I was like, well, how am I going to skip this one? Same. I was mean, like, I know every I was like, I know every, every word. Yeah. I don't need to watch this, but alas.
1: You, you just mentioned, you're like, I have a big smile on my face. Like, as it started, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're here. We're finally here.
0: It is the, it is the moment where they're like, dinging all the meta bells. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. ding, ding. So let's start. Okay, it's let's hard start
1: to talk about this episode and not to be like, it's great. It's, it's ph- great, like, It's phenomenal.
0: Uh obviously it's on both of our top five. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> so they start and in the first like five minutes, it's almost like a normal hunt. Mm-hmm. Right? They're going they go into this comic book shop. They're like asking all of these, like, are do you have any uh weird noises, cold spots, <laughs> like all, all of that stuff. And first of all, can we take a beat and say, was there a ghost that they decided not to hunt? <laughs> Like, so the way that this episode starts, is there a ghost that's out there that, like, the Winchesters just skip because they get sidetracked
1: by the Winchester gospel? Actually, you know what? There's definitely, I don't know if it's a ghost, but something happened that they were at that comic book store that they were like, you know what? This is suddenly not important anymore. (laughs) I was watching it this time and I was like, you know what? They're skipping out on their job a little bit here. Oh my god, that's i have never thought of that before and now it's hysterical. Oh my gosh.
0: And so immediately they're, you know, accused of LARPing and they start to unravel the fact that these their supernatural novels um that chronicle their lives thus
1: far. Up to up to Dean going to hell.
0: Yes, up to Dean going to hell. Um, though Chuck does keep writing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but the in terms of publication, Tears. oh my god, it's literally one of those things where I want to deconstruct every moment of this episode. How about the the part where they are in the in the motel room, and it's just like Sam does research because yeah. that's what Sam does. Sam does research, and Dean is reading the book. are Dean girls, there's <laughs> Dean, <laughs> Dean girls, and there's a slash. And then Dean goes, "What is what is what is slash fiction?" Like Dean, Dean slash, slash Sam. Sam, as in. Together. They do know we're brothers, right? It doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> <laughs> we can't just <laughs> reenact the entire episode. But like that sequence, like it's it's the I think it's the first time they pulled the supernatural joke yes. a couple times prior yes. to this. Yes. Where like Sam says he's writing a book or a TV show or something and he calls it super and he's like uh supernatural. Like <laughs> they've made that joke before, but like this is the first time we go heavy meta.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so this this episode is important for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, the meta parts are really, really satisfying and hilarious and are amazing. Mm-hmm. We also start to learn about uh, prophets. We learn about archangels. Yep. We honestly, like, get more info from Lilith yeah. than, like, this is the first time we see adult Lilith. Mm-hmm. Uh, we There's so many... Details wrapped up in this beautiful story
1: package. There's also the... This is one of the most overt references to literally trying to break away from destiny. As Dean is like, the script says we go left, you go right. Like, this is... It is... They try so hard to get off the track. And it's simply by trying to do different from what the, the books say, what Chuck's writing says, that they end up putting themselves on that path. It is not until... Castiel like gives Dean a hint, and he doesn't he doesn't start thinking, I can't do what this writing says. he just thinks i gotta I gotta do something mm-hmm. and it's not until he just decides to like, okay, let's improvise that anything is able to change at all,
0: yeah, and I think that that's really I mean something that's interesting about season four and the beginning of season five is how much they're trying to hammer home you can't get off this path, yes, you can't get off this path, you can't get off this path, um which obviously in supernatural and honestly in general story terms means that they're going to get off this path like you you don't see something that much unless you're going to complicate it or, or move away from it in some way um, but this one is definitely where you start to realize and it starts to get into the Winchester's brain that something here is predestined Yes, something here is going to happen regardless of, of whatever they do I love the scene in the laundromat where he's like I can't see your face but, these are, <laughs> but those are definitely your pensive and brooding shoulders <laughs>
1: I to bring up that clue <laughs> <laughs> That's, definitely, your pets have been burning. Children. I was watching with my roommate, and I said that line, yeah. and she looked at me, and I was like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> it's just such a good moment. Also, everything involving Rob Benedict as Chuck. I, you know, what we'll talk about Chuck in a minute. Um, I will say, in relation to this episode in particular, the episode is still great, and I still love Chuck. But I gotta say, every time I was like, "Ah, Chuck, I love Chuck," I then had a reaction internally, knowing what Chuck is now.
0: Oh yeah, I tend to consume media um, and try to experience it as though it's the first time I'm watching it. I try, yeah. And so I was watching this and seeing Chuck... As we knew him as this author slash prophet, and then realize, and but also seeing all of the fa- all of the layers that come on top of him in later seasons and later seasons, and it's a lot. Yeah. Chuck's character is looming.
1: Yeah, it is. It, and even though, even if I can't, I cannot. There is no, there is no world in which the ending of season fourteen and the final season of Supernatural was in anybody's brain at the time. Of, oh God, of, no. of the monster. It's just, it's just not possible. I think the potential inference that Chuck may be God because that. That is something that was started to be discussed by the end of season five. I think that is something that is there. And it's. I think that's a heavy-handed, the writer of the story is God in this yes, sense. Yes, yes.
0: I love uh, when Chuck thinks that he's a God. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> when they are When they finally <laughs> confront him and they untangle all of the, uh, like, they're the real Winchesters and he's been writing this story. And Chuck's like... The only answer is that I'm a I'm god. A god. Oh, and I'm like, so honestly, cruel.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: Um, Did you really have to live through the bugs? <laughs> it's one thing. <laughs> it's like pain and torture is one thing, but, but bad, to live bad, bad writing, it's
1: such a good moment.
0: I could quote this entire episode. I love also, it so thing much. Also, the
1: where Chuck says something. What is he? God, he says something else about like, oh, because of the prophet. Like, when Cass tells him he's a prophet. And Dean's like, you didn't see this? He's like, it's it's one thing to put yourself in a story, but to call yourself a prophet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
0: that's so... I think that that is also really interesting. And I think that that calls to attention how we're perceiving the story. There's so many times that Chuck tells us that he's sort of um, self censoring the narrative that he's putting down on paper. Mm -hmm. I think that that draws to question how much the boys and how much, I don't know, maybe like the supernatural as a whole is self censoring what the audience knows Mm -hmm. and what the audience sees in order to make a more compelling story, to make it more believable, to make everyone seem more empathetic perhaps. like I think that Dean holds back and Sam holds back pieces of themselves Uh to to control the narrative the way that Chuck is describing. Yeah. And it's a really interesting moment to have the subtext just be text.
1: Yeah. Similar to the way that Pamela calls out Sam, it's that moment where Sam asks Chuck, do you know about the demon blood? And Chuck goes, I didn't even write it down because I thought it I thought it would make you seem less sympathetic. Or whatever he, I, I can't remember exactly what he says. And then he goes, you got to know that's wrong, right? It is a moment for Sam. But then again, like I try to just, I try to watch this just watching it as Chuck. And I couldn't help but see it as a bigger plan because of Chuck being God and and simultaneously because of where we end up at the end of season 14. And giving it that film is so interesting and I couldn't tell if it made it better or worse for me. <laughs> I really couldn't. I was having a really difficult time separating it. Yeah. Mainly because like I, I can feel the ending of Supernatural coming and like I, I keep placing everything in buckets. Yes. I don't know. Just looking at season four, that is also a very great moment where... Sam where Chuck is just like dude no. Well
0: and I think that something that's really easy to fall into when you're watching shows like Supernatural or you're reading content about speculative speculative fiction mm-hmm. about like fantasy and things like that it's really easy to forget the real world. Yeah. It's really easy to just fall into this is normal, this is fine mm-hmm. um, Sam's drinking blood but he has a good reason for it yeah. so it's not weird. But I think <laughs> that it's really easy as an audience to be And that's what you're supposed to be, right? Like, you're supposed to be taken away in this story. But there are moments, I think, especially in Supernatural, when they want to ground you in, Mm -hmm. this is abnormal and strange. And don't forget that, like, demons are bad and drinking. And Sam is, honestly, like, Sam is compromising himself. Yeah that that's what's happening here because i think that remembering that sam is good ultimately and is doing a bad thing it makes the pa- it makes the end sweeter
1: yeah the whole idea that that sam thinking that he's doing these things for a reason and before we realize that night like, there's the the hints that he's being manipulated but It is so difficult to see that at this point unless you know what's coming. The revelations at the end of the season, I believe, are very much deserved. And without knowing that Sam is not only being manipulated now, but has been manipulated for his entire life, before knowing that, like, just seeing this as Sam being the one to sort of compromise himself makes it all very interesting because you think that he is wholly responsible for the things that he does. And, I again, that is that is a bigger concept of supernatural, destiny versus free will. You have free will to be like, hey, man, maybe I shouldn't be drinking blood. Like, maybe this is not a good thing and we should find someone, like, all of this stuff. So those are the choices that you make as an individual. Mm-hmm. But then knowing that the manipulative stuff comes in afterwards is an interesting second look at all of that.
0: Yeah, but I think it helps, it helps to be reminded that Sam knows what he's doing is questionable and is still making those choices Mm -hmm. because then it makes everything that Ruby says at the end True. She
1: did not necessarily
0: push him in any direction or another. She opened doors and he walked right through them. she's like,
1: I didn't do shit. I gave you choices and you chose them. Like, Mm -hmm. it is, again, that is a destiny versus free will. Your free will was to make the choice, but that choice was your destiny.
0: Which I think is really, it's important that that happens in this episode because the monster at the end of this book is so much about everything being predestined. It's important to have the pinpoint and to identify those moments of free will.
1: Who I was like who is the monster at the end of this book like is that a thing you are that's the you know that book right yes
0: okay
1: so what I'm saying is like uh, first of all yes Grover was my favorite when I was a kid yay uh You were the monster at the end of the book. I'm wondering if that's something that you can actually read into this. It is the people consuming their lives and treating it, like, for at least, again, like, the, the bigger picture with Heaven and Hell. But in terms of this episode, it's just this episode, it's watching it and understanding that, like, again, this is I a mean, fictional TV show. Like, this is a TV show that we're consuming for entertainment, but for them it's their lives.
0: Yeah. I mean, think about it. Major players in this story, right, in this episode, Sam, Dean, Cass, Chuck, Ruby, Lilith, they all are. They yeah. are all monsters. Yeah. They are all the monster at the end of this book.
1: Now we're at the end of the season. Yeah. Because I chose, um, and again, it was very difficult for me to choose between Lucifer Rising and When the Levy Breaks, but yeah. I, I did pick When the Levy Breaks. My biggest reasons for that... I feel like I'm presenting a paper so <laughs> my, my biggest in, reason in thesis is first of all, it's the it ends with that giant blow up between Sam and Dean, and it is i when you think about arguments between the two of them, it's that one yeah that is that is the moment when I think about when the levy breaks. It's everything that Sam goes through in the panic room, every vision that he sees. It's sort of in the way that season three dealt a lot with Dean's inner demons. Lulls, But, like, <laughs> this seems to be the first time that we're getting something like this with Sam. We see Sam struggle with his identity, and we see him, w- whether he's, you know, sad and drunk, or he's he runs away, or, or whatever happens with Sam. We have moments where we get glimpses. It's not until he has the reckoning with a vision of his younger self. With a vision of his mother and then a vision of Dean. Mm -hmm. And it's those three conversations that I think lend to why Sam does what he does in the finale.
0: Yeah, but I feel like he, I don't know, he reckons the wrong way. Like Like, he comes to terms with his inner darkness in a way that, like, Sam is constantly convincing himself what he's doing is right. As opposed to trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong and meeting it
1: there. I I think it's because—and, like, yes, I don't disagree with you, but I I think especially in this episode, the the conversations that we see Sam having— it's he's not reckoning with his darkness. He's just reckoning with his life. If that makes sense, mm. he doesn't think that this is him necessarily falling into darkness. He's just trying to make it through. He has a conversation with younger Sam where it's like, "Look at Happy, Wes." He has a conversation with his mother where she's the part. It, it's a different sections of Sam's yes. personality. I'm
0: really interested in the conversation with younger Sam, especially coming yeah. uh, coming. Off of After School Special. Yes. And seeing, you know, the teacher that like made Sam realize that mm-hmm. he didn't have to be a hunter if he didn't want to.
1: The, the, this is the particular moment of interest for me. It's because that teacher, the last thing that we see, and I think it might be the final shot of the episode, is the teacher going like, oh, that's okay. You did this, that, and the other, whatever. And all that matters is you're happy. And he goes, you're happy, right, Sam? Uh, and Sam can't answer. No,
0: because Sam's not happy.
1: But, but Sam also at this point doesn't know how to be happy. He doesn't know what happiness is. Similar to the way that Dean is is all self-loathing and think he does not deserve, Sam hasn't gotten that far yet. And I think everything that happens with the demon blood and the powers it and, and, and Dean dying and being gone for four months, all of that is is moments that Sam uses to help find his identity and i think he tried to find it as a kid when he was standing up for somebody else being bullied and ended up being a little bit of a bully himself and i think it it happens again when we see oh it, we see it when he runs away to stanford i think sam ran away because he wanted to be smart need to but or or he wanted to learn but i also think that sam sam wants to find himself i think is a constant thing and i think part of the coming down withdrawal visions that he ends up having are a lot of Sam trying to figure out who he is. Are you a monster infected with demon blood since you were a kid? Are you somebody who's been on this path because your dad put you on this path forever ago? Are you somebody who's trying to do good when he sees Mary? And she's like, no, I'm proud of you. You're saving the world and you're doing what needs to be done. And then finally, the conversation he has with the Dean in his head, which is exactly the conversation that happens in reality. Yeah, And that, thats I think, is the biggest part where he's afraid of being rejected. So when Dean says, you're turning into a monster, you don't know, I, I can't trust you anymore, all that other stuff. and then. It is at the very end of the episode, and Dean, actually, those words come out of Dean's mouth that breaks Sam. Yeah. So, like, I—this is a great
0: episode, hands down. I mean, season four is phenomenal. Like, I can't say that this isn't a good episode. I think that all of the, like, struggling that Sam goes through in the panic room, I really am annoyed by sometimes. I think that the—I think that Supernatural over-sympathizes with Sam and under-sympathizes with Dean. Whoa! I know, but— it's because I think that at every turn, wow. <laughs> I think that at every turn, the show is trying to tell you that whatever Sam does, Sam had this bright future that we know now is just a victim of his circumstances, right? That Sam is the smart one who could have done all of these things, but instead is just a hunter and instead, like, had to grow up as this, like, sad kid. Like, every episode that we see them as children, we see, honestly, alternate universes. I yeah. think the only alternate universe where we seen Dean come up is in it's a terrible life when he's like the director of sales and marketing whatever otherwise the alternate universes uh Sam is you know the next Steve Jobs in the 300th episode and <laughs> Dean is like some criminal right like or Sam just... in uh the Jin episode is a lawyer or high like right like is a lawyer off at Stanford and Dean is just this guy who never got away from his hometown right. and drinks all of the time and all of that sort of stuff and throughout we're supposed to be like oh poor Sam. I feel like supernatural just constantly 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 is like oh poor Sam. And that's because Sam is the vessel for Lucifer and Dean is the vessel for Michael and we, and they play on that dichotomy yeah. quite often like that is how the brothers are set up. And so in order to have sympathy for Lucifer you have to, like, have sympathy for Sam. Mm -hmm. And so we just, like, put it on and put it on and put it on. And that's what I was feeling in the panic room. It's just this whole, like, Sam is struggling and comes out on the wrong side of it. And I wish that there was more of a moment to acknowledge all of the wrong choices that Sam makes. Even at the end, I feel like the end of Lucifer Rising, when he breaks the last seal, you're supposed to understand that he did something bad, but also sympathize with him because he had been manipulated the whole time, and he has this anguish and this remorse and all of this. But Sam fucks up, and we don't spend enough time, I think, like, sitting with that.
1: I think we end up spending enough time sitting with that. I think at this point in the show that we we, we aren't there yet. Like, I think it's interesting that you say that, like, we're supposed to sympathize with, but, like, I spend all of season four wanting to smack Sam in the face, and I and I think <laughs> that's purposeful, and I, you're supposed to be able to see the sympathetic angles and the fact that Sam has unfortunate circumstances the same way that Dean does but his is presumably worse because of the demon blood in the in the psychic and all that other stuff. I don't know. I honestly I spend most of season 4 feeling more sorry for Dean than I do Sam. Because Dean is struggling and Dean is full of PTSD and Dean is being dragged around by angels and Dean is trying to take care of his brother and Sam is being headstrong. Like For me, it comes off completely differently. I do, I understand what you're saying and I see it because Sam is always the one in Supernatural that, the same way he gets flung around that panic room, <laughs> which is a <laughs> hilarious moment. Honestly, I think that Sam, he's the one that gets tortured by the show the most. In a, yeah. in a completely different way than Dean is tortured. Dean is physically tortured more than Sam. Sam is made the bad guy more than Dean is. Mm-hmm. From jump. Yeah. Sam, Sam has demon blood. Sam is making bad choices. And, like, yeah, Sam is making bad choices. But, like, somebody decided that Sam was the one going to make the bad choices. <laughs> like, I don't it's, – it's very – I just – I don't know. Maybe it's because I just live for those conversations that you have with yourself and the fact mm-hmm. that Sam gets to have that conversation yes. and it's, it's something that we can see. Yeah. The same way that I like the conversation between Dean and his inner demon in season three. I really like all the the bits that we get with Sam and everything else. We also get Dean giving himself over to the angels. Yes. In this holy... Yeah. Like, and again, Sam breaks in this episode, but Dean breaks first. Oh, yeah. In the I, green room. In the, in the, in the, the the, the, the honeymoon suite? <laughs> um, but I also think that I think that Dean breaks in the moment that he agrees to go with whatever the angels say. I think he's like, I don't know what else to do, and I'm done. And I think it's a different kind of break than what happens later with Sam, but I I think it is this moment of, yeah, okay. Like, he's tired because his brother is sick, and he's tired because he doesn't know what to do, so he's just like, sure, Mm -hmm. do it for me. Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. And then ends with that big blowout fight Mm -hmm. between the two of them. If you walk out that door, don't ever come back. And then he slams the door, and it's just so ridiculous, and it leads directly into...
0: Lucifer Rising, which is beautiful. It's so plotty. You learn so much. I love it. It opens with the parish, the the convent, and Azazel, and it's the moment. It's the beginning, Mm -hmm. honestly. It is when Azazel hatches the plan to free Lucifer from the cage. It is years before this story kicks off, and you realize how long this has been in the works and how almost inevitable it feels. Yeah. Azazel was a part of this in a way. Honestly, the fact that we don't learn Azazel's name until he dies, I think it's really metaphoric for how much he remains a pivotal character into the fourth season. There's so much that he put in place that other demons are now taking and running with. You get the beautiful revelation that Ruby has been playing the long game this entire time. I swear to God, Genevieve was cast for that monologue oh, oh yeah like that is the a moment i'm
1: awesome <laughs> like that moment is so good
0: it's so good it's like yeah you had to read like this like this is the moment and it's just you see the brothers coming back together the way that like dean comes in and is like yelling for sam and isn't able to get there but then as soon as he breaks through the doors and all of this has already happened and he's coming for Ruby and Sam grabs her that is like a like moment of synchronicity that is that is supernatural that is the brothers like acting and being as one it's such a
1: it's it's the same way that in it's a terrible life. They mm-hmm. do that thing where he's like, "Dean catch." And he throws the thing and he and he <laughs> and he's like, "Awesome catch," right? Like it's in their it's in their bones that no matter where they are, uh-huh. no matter what they do, they are still so connected so that the second Oh yeah. the second Dean runs in that door, Sam is just like, "Nope, gone. <laughs> you do not get to think about her as a good person anymore." And it's it's Sam
0: realizing with crushing like It's the like crushing realization that he's been played and that he was a part of bringing upon the apocalypse in a real way. It's as though all of the things that he had been telling himself all season about him doing the right thing and about this being the only way to stop it and about his single goal, his single goal was wrong.
1: Okay, that might have been what I was coming up with is that Sam does everything. He does all the bad things for what he believes is the right reason and then that reason was not even close to right. It's like Sam put himself through like... This addiction, and he he made himself less than a human, and he allied himself with the demon, and he made the angels angry, and he's a faithful individual, and we know that. He almost broke up with his brother. Like, I don't know how else to phrase that, but, like, the two of them were almost irrevocably, but, like, he probably still feels that they might, at this point, that they might still be irrevocably broken. He feels awful, and it was all, in the end, worthless, because, like, that is the ultimate destructive moment is like you did all these terrible things and you put yourself through hell and you allied yourself opposite everybody who loves you and then at the very end you started the apocalypse you were so wrong and it's 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 terrible like it is it is genuinely terrible i don't necessarily like yeah sam fucked up like i'm not like oh poor baby but like it is it is rough shit
0: yeah, but I think that, like, that, I think while also being a moment where you realize how wrong Sam has gone, I think that, like, we, like, looking at the way that that shot is with Lilith dead against the altar and the blood pooling in that circle and Sam crumbled in the corner and Dean bursting through, it feels like it is such a loss that you don't even get to say that Sam was wrong. No, Because he he's just a part of the destruction mm-hmm. and the damage and it's he, Sam is as broken as the scene in front of us oh yeah and for and that is why like I wish we got to spend a little bit more time being like Sam you fucked up you're an idiot
1: like not like that no, maybe okay. that makes me an asshole it does but I no, I, <laughs> I no I'm kidding no I think that's I think that's fair I think that is super fair
0: it's such a good episode yeah. and it, it it is really sweet payoff for everything that's been happening this season the moment in the monster at the end of this book, when Willett is like, "Let's make a deal," because I think she is now wavering on her desire to like yeah, cool, be cool. the sacrificial lamb, is paid off when she's there and she's like, "Okay, let's do this."
1: You can see fear in her eyes. Oh, I, yeah, it's not, it's not fear, and it, because but she still
0: like eggs him on, yes. right? No. She's still playing a playing her part in this.
1: Yeah, it is very much like she. It is it is played to make you think that she's scared of Sam's power. It is actually that she is scared that this is her end and she knows it and she's fearing death, but she eggs him on because she knows she has to. Uh-huh. She's Lucifer's first. Yeah. Also, the way that the episode ends with it just, go where Sam going, he's coming, Yeah, it flashes to white, and then we get that negative where it's white screen with black text, and it is so jarring. It's just like...
0: It's so, so good. That's why I had to, I put on the next episode. I was like, I can't...
1: (laughs) Yeah, just literally, just that final shot. We left so many of my favorite episodes off of this list. Oh my god, so... Many. Like if I had to pick one, it would be wishful thinking. Just the bizarre. Kneel before Todd. <laughs> I just
0: I say that randomly. Kneel
1: before Todd.
0: <laughs> oh just my God. The <laughs> moment <are> you- <laughs> in wishful thinking. The moment in wishful thinking when the teddy bear is like, why am I even here? And the little girl is like, for tea parties!
1: <laughs> <The> tea parties. <laughs> The bizarre Cackle. horror that is that teddy bear blowing its own brains out, <laughs> when, like, the camera just pans, and you see the poof, and you hear the gunshot, and the fluff goes, and you're like, this is so <laughs> disturbing, and I can't <laughs> tell you why. It's beautiful. It's such a nuts episode, I and, like, just Ben Edlund is a goddamn maniac, and I love him.
0: And honestly, the It's a Terrible Life is also phenomenal, and we can't get into it because it's, I would say, like, it's not top five, but, like, there are some gem episodes this
1: season. Yeah, it is just, like, this this season is just, full. Yellow Fever is one of my favorite episodes, and we can't talk about that. Let's talk about um, the minor characters. First of all... So many. First of all, there's so many. Second of all, okay, one and a half of all... We definitely forgot to say last episode that Gordon died last year, uh, last season. Oh yeah, but we forgot to give Lisa and Ben their their proper due. But they did first show up last season, and they will um, show up again.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think that it's. I think Lisa, the episode with them last season is really good, and we talked about Lisa a little bit with Dream a Little Dream. But mm-hmm. I th- honestly think that she's more impactful when she shows up later. I do too. Um, so we'll probably dig into her then. Okay, but.
1: There are a so million. many.
0: Um Claire shows up, mm-hmm. which I only put on the list because it's it's a really small moment. In a great in another great In episode. another great episode. Yeah. But it's a really small moment. I put Claire because she comes back yes. and it and is a more major character later.
1: Yeah. Love Claire, but right now she's we don't know who she is. Yes, Claire Novak. Um and Amelia as well. Again, Amelia is just another. They recast her. Well, they recast both of them. But uh, <laughs> uh, Amelia Novak. Um, we Young. And then, uh, you know what? Simultaneously, Jimmy Novak.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Novak.
1: Um, who is completely different from Castiel. So, like, it's interesting to meet him as a character and then. He's pretty much dead by the end of it. Yeah,
0: honestly, I thought... we're talking about Cass already. So uh, what I thought was really funny um, seeing Jimmy and Cass is that Misha's natural voice now is somewhere in the middle of those registers. (laughs) I was like, Misha doesn't sound this high-pitched. Have
1: you ever ever seen the, the Paley Center video?
0: No, one of
1: the one of the years they did Paley Center, probably the one they did one like two years ago. So probably the one like five or six years ago, the moderator asked them, "Is there anything that you would change or da 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 after being on the show for so long, or any regrets or whatever?" And like nobody speaks, and then and then Misha goes, "I have a regret." And he he talks about how. The fact that he chose to do this, the the deep, the deep girl voice because he thought it was whatever. And like he chose to do that voice because it was supposed to be like just a couple of episodes. And then he's been doing it for years. He's like, I'm running into medical complications. <laughs> like, my I have to talk to my doctor. Like, <laughs> is one of my favorite. It's, I, I'll say we'll, the to, clip. we'll pull it and we'll add it to the show notes. It's, it's, yes, we'll put it in the show notes. It's a really funny clip from the Paley Center where he talks about doing
0: it. Yeah, that. I honestly, I went back and pulled up videos of interviews from 2009 because I was like, is Misha's voice this no. Jimmy Novak high? No. Um and in the, it, it, the middle. It's definitely higher earlier on. And it comes, like, currently, if you were to, like, go to Misha's Instagram, his <laughs> voice is somewhere in the middle of those registers. Getting older. We, exactly. Which is... <laughs> fascinating to me. I mean, I think that we don't talk about his vocal performance enough. Honestly, we don't talk about vocal performance enough with actors in general. Um, And that's one that you can really track and Mm -hmm. see, especially in the way he inflects differently for those different characters.
1: I I love the difference that Misha does as Jimmy, as Castiel. And then honestly, um... When Cass loses his... um, When he kind of goes insane a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, when he's Misha Collins. When he plays fake Misha. Yes.
0: Also, um, in the future so that season five episode that's coming up when they're in the future that version of cast.
1: oh my god I forgot about that episode I <laughs> yeah. forgot that episode was coming yeah. holy shit I'm so excited to watch that okay sorry <laughs> sorry okay Um, <laughs> even though we've already met them but young John Winchester and young Mary Campbell are different and they are yeah. they're different from who we know and they are more than who we've already known so yeah but nice I stuff. also think that what's really fascinating
0: about Mary and some of this is probably accidental and some of this is purposeful because we knew because the writers knew that she had a, a richer backstory. I feel like they're so similar. They're all the same character. Mm-hmm. I understand the, honestly, the when we were talking about home and we were talking about that version, yeah. that Mary Winchester, that quintessential Mary, mm-hmm. like that I see her beginnings in young Mary Winchester. Oh
1: yeah, especially because she, right, she doesn't want to be a hunter. She wants to be with John. She wants to be able to raise a family. And then there's that moment where she's talking to her dad, and he's like, oh, the, it's going to show up at this farm. And she's like, oh, this girl's? And he's like, yeah. She's like, dad, she's my friend. It's like, oh, little well, it be? Over. She's like, no, we have to, no, that's my friend. We have to go make sure she's okay. Yes. And it is that is very much, like, even though she hates hunting or she dislikes hunting, she doesn't want it to be her life, she's not going to let somebody who she knows or anybody really get hurt because of their inactivity.
0: Yeah, I think that Mary... Winchester I think that the the boys and like the Winchester men are very much hunter as soldier mm. they're very much uh not I don't want to say aggressors but they are going out there to get the bad thing and to hunt right it's an active it's mm-hmm. an active thing and mary is really hunter as protector yeah like she is very much i don't want to do this but if i ha- but i will so that i can protect the people that are important to me and the people that are around and that sort of thing and that energy of like mary as a protector mm-hmm. feels so consistent across every iteration
1: yeah which is why it's interesting when she struggles when when she eventually does come back it's interesting that when she is struggling with being alive again that you see her start to shift a little bit because she doesn't know she can't find her footing. So that's the only time that you see Mary as protector sort of start to shift towards aggressor because she's having she's struggling. So it's interesting to see it in that way. Uh, Anna I love Anna I do too except then Anna yeah but I love Anna <laughs> <laughs> I agree I really quite like her um, at the beginning here.
0: Oh yeah and it's really interesting. To see her struggle with being graceless or like having, without having her grace mm-hmm. and having like these slight memories and the angel radio, seeing her be kind of like a happy but. Obvious with obvious mental issues, yeah. person, um, and then see her take on the role of the garrison leader, the soldier angel. Uh, once she has her full memory and full powers, mm-hmm. um, it's re- it's a really interesting. I feel like her posture changes. Her oh yeah, there's so much about her. Yeah. Um, but I really like both characters. I really I think that Anna's a like a really interesting yeah, addition.
1: I, I agree. Um we talked a lot about Chuck already, but like Chuck, man. I love Chuck. Only thinking of season four and five Chuck. Just season four Chuck. Here's the I, thing. I, I of-
0: love him as a character throughout.
1: I do too. No. Even when he's
0: even when he's like Useless, a spineless god, a a, a wrathful, a, a wrathful god, a, right? Like I love him as a character yeah. because he brings this humanity to it mm. that is really, really grounding. Also, it's very interesting because he's short.
1: Can I say it? <laughs> there was? A, I, I forgot that Rob Benedict was short because he was standing next to. I think it's when he's standing next to Jensen and Cass. Yeah, and Jensen, and Cass, Jensen, and Misha, and like. I was like, God Almighty, he's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting because
0: he brings he brings a lot of stature to the role, mm. even when he's being the author huddled in the yeah.
1: Even when he's pathetic, there's, there's something. A- there's about him.
0: always something like playing in the background, mm. and I really, really love that because you get to un unpack those layers. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to think of Chuck as a vessel for God.
1: Mm. I mean, like that's that's what they point out, right? He is he's interpreting the he's a mouthpiece, yeah. Like that's what the prophets are, uh-huh. and so they're interpreting the word of God. And especially when we meet later prophets, and it, it's it's hard to be like, especially when we meet later prophets and see, we see why Chuck was different, and then knowing why Chuck was kind of different, <laughs> like it's it, it is hard to do that. But it is very interesting to watch it. Yeah, he's just it is always fun anytime Chuck shows up. That is whether it's scary or not. Yeah, it, he's always fun to watch and to explore with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Tessa Tessa, we talked about Tessa. Tessa. The Ghostfacers make a cameo appearance in uh, It's a Terrible Life where the Winchesters, or uh, Smith and Wesson, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I wrote that down because they're gun manufacturers. Yeah. There's a different gun manufacturer. <laughs> uh, Sam and Dean of that universe are trying to figure out how to hunt ghosts so they find the Ghost Facers video in which the Ghostfacers talk about the Winchesters. Uh, and then same episode, Zachariah. Yeah. Fuck that dude. Yeah, man. He's a dick. Yeah, he sucks.
0: Um, But he's great. He's, he... It's another
1: one. It's great to watch him be an asshole.
0: Well, I think that it's really interesting, the metaphors they're using for the hierarchy of angels. Um, It's the, the host of angels that is, like, that the Legion, I suppose, Mm. Um, because Zachariah really makes it very upper management, right? He's suit and tie and buttons, and you can imagine him as, like, this middle management. Honestly, that director of marketing and sales role that Dean is, uh, that Dean fills. When he walks in. That's Zachariah. That is
1: Zachariah, (laughs) just, like, without the wings. But he's like, good stuff. Good stuff? Good stuff. Good stuff. (laughs) Big things, like, and then the moments where he is slightly vengeful. Yes. We don't get a lot of it in this one, but, like, especially next season when we get it with him, like, He goes from being a bad guy and that upper management and suit and tie and, like, everything else and just a really interesting antagonist to being, you remember that these are powerful, powerful creatures. Oh, yeah. Those those moments with all the angels, frankly, like, it happens with Anna, it happens with Uriel, it happens with Zach, it happens with Cass. Anytime that you get to remember that these aren't just characters, or, you know, they are characters, but, but that they are wholly, hugely powerful is really interesting, and I like it with Zachariah. And similarly, I think it's worth it to talk about how Uriel is slightly different.
0: Yeah, because Uriel also also is a buttoned up suit and tie. I mean, I guess they, I guess the Uriel casts like they have yeah. that they have that vibe, but it's a little bit less corporate with them. Mm-hmm. And Uriel is obviously a subordinate to Cass and whatever. I'm gonna make it. Be- I'm making beginning. an org chart, guys. Before the end of this, <laughs> we're gonna have like an angel hierarchy org chart. Because I need it. I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I need,
1: like, who reports to whom? He's a subordinate of Cass at first, and then I think they swap roles.
0: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And he's definitely, yeah, a little different.
1: Uriel hates humanity.
0: Yeah, I mean, he definitely, there's definitely a, like, I want to squash them like they're bugs vibe. He
1: hates, like, anyways, hates humanity. He does. And is kind of an asshole. And I like that he's junkless. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that (laughs) joke. And also, Uriel's the funniest angel in the garrison. Ask anybody. <laughs> that line from Castiel is my favorite.
0: And also, he dies. So, rip. hi, Uriel, bye, Uriel.
1: Hi, Uriel, bye, we did Jimmy. Hi, and bye. Deanna and Sam Campbell.
0: Yeah, man, hi, and bye. Yeah. I, I love the moment where uh, <laughs> Dean realizes that he's named after his grandma.
1: Like, that's great.
0: That's a great one. I like
1: that Mary took both of their names. Like, she looked at John, she's like, I got this. <laughs> Please, Harry Potter, do my children. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we talked about adult Lilith coming in mm-hmm. and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alistair. Yeah. Alistair's a really interesting character, especially because of the relationship, I guess we would call it that, that yeah. he and Dean have in Hell um, as the like mentor-mentee <laughs> um, kind of dark Pairing. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to talk about Alistair because he's so gross. Yeah, he's no,
1: he is. He's disgusting. And they give him that like Godfather esque, yeah, act, New York or not New York, but like mobster Italian, very stereotypical, yes, mobster accent. Like,
0: yeah, it's awful. and he he really relishes in the pain in a way that honestly, like there are a lot of mo- I would say that like this season be like more so than being quintessential super- supernatural also has a lot of the moments that make me uncomfortable mm. which I we can get into. But with Alistair when Ruby's on the table there mm-hmm. it is like the torture is so sexualized in a way that I'm just like this is Is it crossing a line? Yeah. This, it makes me so uncomfortable. And he really just kind of like relishes in it. Yeah. And it's so creepy and unsettling. And I think that you're meant to feel uncomfortable. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But it's, there are definitely moments where I'm just like, is this okay?
1: Yeah, no, it's. He also relishes, it's interesting. Like, when so when Dean is torturing him, he's even yeah. relishing the fact that Dean is digging in. Yeah, like it's he's just the so pain. much of a, like a sadomasochist. That,
0: yeah, like, well, also because his pain causes Dean pain. Yeah. Which is to do the torturing mm-hmm. causes Dean pain. And so, in a sick way, it's Alistair is still torturing Dean. Yeah. Even as he is the one on the table. And then
1: he beats the holy hell out of it. That is, yeah. is one of the worst beatdowns yeah. in all of Supernatural. Like, I think about that a lot. Like, I, as it was coming, I like squinted a little bit because mm-hmm. it's, it's really awful to see them just get hammered sometimes, and that's one of the worst ones. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, like, Alistair, glad you're dead. Yeah,
1: bye. Bye. Uh, Adam. Yeah. I, yeah. Adam, very short episode. Honestly, the cool episode, meh. I like it because Sammy clearly wants to be a big brother and have responsibility. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. yes, he does. And when he can't, he doesn't, he can't make Dean listen to him. So I think Adam is just this moment.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, but
1: poor comes and goes. Poor Adam. He'll be back. Comes kind back. Of. Yeah. And then he'll go again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who on this list? Okay. Let's talk about Pamela real quick. Yeah. Because we wanted to talk about that.
0: So Pamela's death is another moment where, like, I, there are a lot of moments in this season that make me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And Pamela's death is like... She is so fridged, it feels like. She absolutely is. Like, she, her entire narrative is being tortured on behalf of the agency of these boys Mm -hmm. like she the first time we meet her she is blinded by so that they can move the story forward so they can show how powerful angels are she's constantly it it feels wheeled out brought back just to be tortured on behalf of the story of these boys yeah
1: and to be scared like to be scared the second time she's brought in was is to help with Anna. And the second she learns it's about angels, you can you can see that she's like, no, 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 give me it. She doesn't want to be involved in this. Yeah. And she's forced to be, and then it kills her, and it sucks.
0: It does. It really... Like, that was one of the times. Because, I mean, everyone knows people talk about Supernatural for not having enough people of color, mm-hmm. for being vicious to the women, mm-hmm. um, for killing all of the women, and they're... And- a lot of the times I will back up the show because, one, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's great storytelling. It's about these two boys. All, all of the characters come Every, and go. Yes, Everyone expendable. else is mm-hmm. expendable. Cast seems to have made a mark. <laughs> cast seems to be here to, to stay. T-
1: Dear fucking death, <laughs> <that's my laughs> <actual boyfriend laughs> I love him so
0: much. But, like, for the most part, anyone else is expendable. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, that means that it's going to have a revolving cast of, you know, short-lived people of color and short-lived women mm-hmm. on the show. But there are moments when that Criticism is well earned. Yeah, I agree. And I think Pamela is one of those moments where it's like, why? Yeah, all like this character. All she does is serve as a vessel to push the story forward. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like she comes in and goes. She comes in and is tortured. Yeah. And we're we are meant to look at her pain. And it's really, really unfortunate and uncomfortable for this to happen. And I think that that ties in. I think that this season is about a lot of those feelings, right? Like, that ties in with Ruby, demon or not, on the table with the, you know, the leather straps across her mouth, like, being tortured. And her naked body. And her naked body. You're right, though.
1: Before, you were right. It is very sexualized. It's
0: very sexualized, right? Like, Sam is on the table later. Sam has a chin strap. Which I think is, I mean, it's basically the same table that Sam is on. Uh, in the in your when the levee breaks, yes. he has the he has the dream, uh, not dream. I guess he has the hallucination. Yes, that yes, he's yes, uh, yes. that and he's being, being tortured. Yes. that he's being tortured. Totally different setup than when Ruby is. Yeah, totally yeah, different. Yeah, why isn't Sam naked? Why isn't Sam naked? Why isn't Sam right? Like. It, why isn't he writhing in this sort of like agony, pain? We only like we are only here to torture the women and yeah. that is like really uncomfortable and unfortunate.
1: I think it's it's so obvious with Pamela too that, that it is it is this is a moment where it's not just a character who ends up dying because it's supernatural and people die, but like she is she is absolutely fridged, especially when you consider the whole thing is she gets stabbed and then it's like, Oh, I can't die in this town and Sam's like, Let's go to the hospital and she's like, No, no. I'm like, why does she keep saying no? There's no, there is no yep. logical choice for Pamela to decide. And then when 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 Tessa starts reaping again and she bleeds, there is no logical reason for Pamela to be like, "Fuck you both, I'm gonna sit here and bleed out to death." I mean, literally,
0: episodes later, Bobby is stabbed mm-hmm. in roughly the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Bobby is a more important character, yeah. has has been on the show longer, but like he's basically has the same injury yeah. and ends up. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And yet Pamela can't go to the hospital and die for it. Yeah, it
1: is one of those things where I think it, it is a mixture of, well, what do we do with her? Well, what is her purpose? And currently, her purpose is to make the boys feel bad. Uh-huh. And, and so she dies. And Zine's like, "I'm tired of bearing our friends, man. She we she didn't deserve this, and we dragged her into it. And like, good. So you learned a lesson that you should have learned when you were six. Yeah, but and all then they of keep the lessons... learning that lesson.
0: Yes, and all of the lessons it feels like are coming on the back of these women yeah.
1: consistently. It happens so many times, and it's it's frustrating. And like again, I agree with you. I love the show, but like you can we can obviously we can love a show and like call it out when it's bullshit and like this this is absolute nonsense what happens to her there's no reason she couldn't have gone to the hospital gotten stitch up and be like never fucking call me again (laughs) I hate you poison go find a different psychic (laughs) like she could have ridden off in the distance and like lived her badass life walking around having I mean next season we bring Joe and Ellen back for what to kill them yeah Yeah. Mm. it's it's,
0: it it's very like this is this is the moment where it's just like what is going on supernatural why are you doing this there's a part of it that's meta and that is the industry, right? Like, there's a part mm-hmm. of it that is just, this is how men write things, mm-hmm. and there's a part of it that is this story and being in this world. Honestly, it all feels a little too biblical for me, right? It's a little too... Supernatural
1: feels a little too yeah! biblical
0: for <laughs> It's a little too like, ate of the tree of knowledge and now has to bear the pain of yeah. childbirth. Yeah. Like, it is, it is that. It is that the wrath of God comes down hardest on the women. Mm-hmm. And like I I can see how it falls into that mm-hmm. but I hate it.
1: The thing I hate most is when a writer says, "Well, that's where the story was going" or "That's where the character <laughs> That's where the character took us." And I'm like, "You know you fucking wrote that, right?" Like that's it's the biggest cop out and I think there are there are more egregious examples of it, but I think that you're right in that this is the first one where you could so clearly see a way in which Pamela could have lived and just not been a part of the show anymore. Yep. And the boys for and still for the boys to learn their lesson. Yep. They still could have learned this lesson without her dying, and instead she just chooses to die. And it sucks. Other than her death, though, like, I don't want to just, like, Pamela's a really cool character. She's a really cool character. And I like her a lot. And honestly,
0: I feel like she sees and knows the most in a
1: lot of ways.
0: Like, I love the idea of her having this sense about, like the world and being able, right, like, she's the one who, like, knows the magic to get deep in Mm -hmm. with the angels and calling the spirits and all of those pieces, and I love
1: that. Yeah, same. All right, now let's move up to the, I think we're going to move up, oh, actually, very quickly, I want to just very quickly, this is going to be a two-hour episode. (laughs) (laughs) I want to mention Bobby. Yeah? Because Bobby's role in this series in this season definitely like expands and it, my favorite bit is the is in sex and violence where they call the call caller supervisor <laughs> and Bobby's got that line of phones on the wall yes. it is it is building more the fact and Bobby has the panic room and his role is so expanded in this and even though he's not in a lot of the episodes he's he's only in like maybe 5 or 6 of them this season but every time his role is is just beefed up in a way that yeah. It just it's just in a very interesting way. I love that Bobby is just that smart.
0: I want to do an episode later where we track the uh the supernatural fandom against turns that the show makes. I think that that is really really interesting because honestly there are a couple of moments with Bobby especially that I'm like I wonder if they were if fans were just like why does this happen? And they were like, "I'll show you what." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The line of phones, it's very it feels like they're filling a plot hole. Yeah. No, very like why don't? Why doesn't anybody just call the FBI and <laughs> yeah. ask if these guys are real people? And then Bobby's like got that line of phones where it's like U.S. Marshals, FBI, CIA, <laughs> like, it's just whatever. And then also like Bobby does a lot of um, the the reckoning at the in the finale where he yells at Dean. He's like, "You think family's supposed to make you feel good?" And like all that <laughs> stuff. It is, it is Bobby is the voice of fucking reason ninety eight percent of the time, and he's the father figure that John should have been. So I like seeing that growth in this season.
0: Yeah, I and I think that I want to wait until we lose Bobby no. to really go into this. But I'm gonna say hot take from Takiya: I don't really like Bobby as a character. I'm again gonna wait until the end to really get into it. But it's something doesn't land for me. Oh. Leah, guys, I think we might have to end the podcast. Leah looks like simultaneously like she might kill me, but also cry. Like I don't know. There's, I am. I have said the wrong thing.
1: Oh, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this information. I <laughs> basically you just told you you didn't like Sabre Dean. I was like, actually, <laughs> really? I I can't imagine not liking Bobby. Eh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's all okay. You everybody's allowed to have opinions. Oh my god! I can't tell if I hurt
0: her feelings or she just thinks I'm that wrong.
1: I I think you hurt my feelings. Yeah, oh no! I was like, "How dare you say that about my dad? <laughs> my grumpy dad." <laughs> like, I think it's how it feels. I don't know. I should start having feelings through fictional characters. Yeah. Uh Let's talk about Ruby.
0: Yeah, Ruby. Has been playing the long game. Mm. How long do we believe that Ruby has been playing the long from game? Jump.
1: From jump, from the second she shows up, and I was trying, I was trying to clock it in season three. That every time she shows up to help the boys, it is, it is a to try to gain some trust, yes, and b to make sure that they do not die. If they can handle it, she's like whatever. If li- if it looks like they're all about to just eat it. She's in, because if she cannot let them die. She needs them. They have to survive, especially Sam. Has to survive. And then the very last thing she does in season three is she tells Sam that he can still use his power to stop Lilith. When Ruby shows up at the beginning of this season, when, so they knock on the motel door. First thing we see of Genevieve Cortez is that we think she's just a random chick that, yes. that Jared is hooking up with. And Ruby opens the door, and she looks at two individuals that she knows— one of whom should not be, have been risen yet. I don't think Ruby knew that Dean was going to get raised from hell. Just yeah. yet. There's no way she could have known that. And the first thing she does is play stupid. There is no way she could have imagined that if she, when she opened that door that it was going to be Dean. And she immediately starts acting. And it's because she is that good at her endgame that she is able to flip that switch. I think Ruby is playing from the second Katie Cassidy shows up with a cool knife. Episodes like Juice and Bello
0: like, complicates that for me, mm-hmm. because I feel like they're put in the middle of this situation that seems really orchestrated for them to die, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, there is an all-out siege. Like, I'm not sure. I Honestly, I feel like the hierarchy of demons is similar to the hierarchy of angels, in that the only the top echelon really knows what's going on, mm-hmm. and there are, there are grunts on the ground that they have to keep in line by feeding, spoon-feeding them the lie of the truth. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, what, the thing that Zachariah really alludes to is that in order to keep things moving, of course it has to seem like they want to avoid yeah. the apocalypse. And I feel like, in similarly, in order for Lilith to keep things moving, of course it has to seem like she wants to live and be the successor. And so those moments mm-hmm. are really interesting but also complicating to me because i'm not sure which side ruby's on and like what her what her motivations are
1: i think that i think that makes sense i think it's all fair i think that might be um down to the fact that this is television (laughs) which is a shitty answer right we're supposed to be in the weeds leah it's not television it's real it's it is so real um i was crying earlier like i i do think that is one of those things where There need to be stakes every week of some sort, and occasionally the stakes need to be that it's world-ending. And in the canon of the show, I think in season three where Ruby explains that she can't save Dean because I think she wants Dean out of the way. Yeah. She's only focused on Sam. She's not focused. The angels are focused on Dean. She's focused on Sam. Her mission is to get the special child to kill Lilith at the appointed time. Yeah.
0: So, like, I mean, I think... honestly, it would be easier for her if Dean were out of the way yeah. in a lot and of ways because it would that's... give Sam the extra oomph of retrovi- like, uh, retribution. Oh,
1: yeah. No, I think that is precisely why she tries to get on Sam and Dean's good side both, and then she tells Dean that she can't save him. And potentially she could. If they killed Lilith early enough, it's probably a way that they could have. But, like, can't kill Lilith yet. Lilith has to die at a certain time. And, yeah, her just her, you mentioned it, Jen's uh, revelation in the finale. Oh, my God. Is so brilliant. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm awesome. (laughs) Uh, Cass? Castiel is my favorite character in all of Supernatural. I except for Sam and Dean. No, he is my favorite character oh. in all of Supernatural is Castiel. My favorite character is usually somebody who shows up a little bit later is the third or fourth <laughs> in the line of things like consistently that is just who I pick as my favorite character. Mm. I fucking love Castiel. I love watching him grow through the season as he starts to get closer to to, to, to honestly to make a friend. Oh. Cass is Cass that's is very sweet. Cass is a, a, a soldier and he's an angel and and angels are only right and if angels are wrong that's blasphemy. Like there is there is nothing else. And and humans have to be protected because they're God's creatures. And now it's not that. Like by the end of the season he decides that he wants humans to survive because he wants his Like, I think he wants Dean to survive. And I think he wants humanity to have a chance. And I think he sees that there's something good there. And so watching his progression is really interesting and fun. I love that he became so big and so important or or so well-liked that he became huge in the show. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I really think that Cass rounds out the Winchester family in a way. Because, like, triangles are the strongest shape. And three-person relationships, Mm -hmm. like, mean that you can bounce off. And obviously it's like... Dean and Cass, Dean and Sam, like, Dean is the center of this relationship in a lot of ways, but it's, I think it's really important to have that counterbalance, and it's really, like, it all comes together. It's when they become a pack, Mm -hmm. you know? They're more than just brothers. (laughs) They're pack. They're pack. (laughs) Um, And I love Pack as family. Let's not get into it. (laughs) And so it's really great to see Cass throughout this season grow from being kind of this, like, casual minor character to having a larger role mm-hmm. in the relationship. Honestly, it seems like Cass is there to make sure that Dean is on the right path, but also I think that he really empathizes with both of the brothers oh, in a lot no, of ways. He like does. he wants to go out of his way to make sure that Sam also gets onto the right path. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really interesting. I like everything everything about the angels showing up is really interesting and I I just like love Cass as being this bridge between Angel and humanity mm-hmm. um, and learning learning how to be human
1: it's also like I, I mentioned i love Watching Cass's arc, but I also like watching Dean slowly begin to understand that this angel, maybe not trust Castiel, but want to be able to eventually trust Castiel. So he's working towards trying to find a way to to become closer. Like there's a moment in the finale where where Dean is like, "You were trying to tell me something. Why can't you just tell me?" And Cass is like, "I can't. It's orders." And and Castiel does this thing where he always looks away. And there's a moment where Dean ducks his head down to – I'm moving away from the microphone because I'm doing the motion. And Dean ducks his head down to catch Cass's eyes. Yeah. And he tries to draw him back up to eye level. And then Castiel turns around. And Dean is like, look at me and tell me. that." Like, it is a really great connect – I love human connective moments. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm down with Destiel 100%. I'm here for it. <laughs> but, but found family and friends as family and all that stuff is – is my favorite thing. So watching the relationship begin to form between Dean and Cass and we will eventually see a closer one with Sam and Cass. I I just love those moments. Like, it's hard for Dean to trust people. That Dean is, it seems like Dean wants to trust Cass. So he's working with him and trying to make Cass better and I really like seeing that growth on both ends.
0: Yeah, and it's really, I mean, it's interesting. I think that Dean really has a sense of he wants to trust Cass because at the end of the day, he feels like he owes Cass something to start.
1: Mm.
0: Right? Because there's no real, like, Dean is skeptical of everything. Yes. Dean is very skeptical of angels. angels. <laughs> when Cass shows up originally, there's really no reason for Dean to trust him except that Cass is the one who saved him. Yeah. And so it's that, like, that little bit of relationship sparks and makes it possible for them to, like, grow and, like, actually get to know each other and, like, actually develop something deeper than that. Otherwise, this would just be another angel that yeah. Dean is like, Got out of my face.
1: Yeah. I will also say, I think part of it is that on their, what, second meeting where where they're talking and Dean doesn't understand, he's like, why me, X, Y, and Z? And Castiel looks at him, like, it's one of those moments where Dean looks away and Cass catches his eyes and goes... You don't think you deserve to be saved. Uh, and it's speaking truth to something that Dean has not said out loud yet. Yes. And I think that's another reason why Dean finds Castiel interesting or worthwhile.
0: Well, also, I think that for all that Dean sees himself as a soldier, as, you know, straightforward, as has a, has a single goal, ha- is going after it, Cass is actually forthright. Mm. Right, mm. like Cass is actually no bullshit. Cass is because he doesn't know how. Because <laughs> he
1: doesn't
0: know. How. <laughs> he hasn't learned it yet. And I think that being being tied up in all the humanness and human emotion that the boys have gone through in the first three seasons, and the you know truths that we keep from our family, having someone as honest and as Open in a weird way Mm -hmm. as Cass is. Cass might not be able to tell him everything, but he is very clear about what he can and can't
1: say. The whole bit with the Archangel, where he's like, You understand why I can't help because this Arch, you know why I'm not helping. You get it, right? You get it, like sideways glances, sideways glances, (laughs) like in Monster at the end of this book. Like it is. Yeah. All right, let's um,
0: let's talk about this music. Yes, classic rock moment. This was this felt more of like a normal season yeah. level of music. Yeah, last n- season we were talking about how um, it didn't have as many yeah. of those like musical moments that really, are like, like notable. Sink your, yeah, the yeah. like notable to sink your teeth into. But mm-hmm. this one felt like pretty standard. Yeah,
1: it's not season one where every other song yeah. is <laughs> licensed. <No. laughs> but um, honestly, this season kicks off with a bang. It "Shook Me All Night Long" is used as the road so far those
0: taking my share i my mind we
1: yeah and it just it it's like it's just hype-worthy it just gets me super into it especially like i don't i don't know how to explain it it is one of my favorite uses of the road so far music and it's just like hey remember this show
0: oh yeah absolutely and one of the things that i think that they've gotten better at and better at as the seasons progress is the music cues with the moment of action in the sh- show, mm-hmm. so there are like the beats where it like like really like syncs up with whatever is happening on screen.
1: Oh, you mean when we do carry on, Wayward Son? And oh my the god, it's like, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun door slam. Yes, <laughs> like...
0: no, like those those types of moments. Yeah. And I think that it starts like it's not as on the nose as that carry on, <laughs> but I think that shook me all night long. Really, like, has some of those sequences as well. It de-
1: it definitely does. Um... And it's, I, I seem to really like Dean screaming Sam's name in musical cues, but it's Dean in hell. And he goes, Sam, all night long. And then it's him screaming. Yeah. It's such a good moment. <laughs> I have a tiger? I have a tiger. I have the
0: tiger. So, I have a tiger, I also, it's like not that big in the, nope. in the episode. Um, this is Yellow Fever yeah. when Dean is too afraid to, I do... <laughs>
1: Just stay on the second floor of the hotel, or the third floor of the hotel, or whatever it is. Um, and so he,
0: and so he's in the car waiting for Sam to come back out, and I have the Tigers playing, and he like just like leans up, but you get the clip after the episode of Jensen just like going to town.
1: It's at the end of the episode, and the whole gig is that somebody on the crew, I don't know if it was the director at the time or a DP or something, said to Jared, hey, 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 do me a favor. Just, or if it was Jared. I'm not sure which, whose idea it was, but somebody's like, "Just, just don't, just don't walk on cue. So he lets him keep going and so cuz you can hear ja- you can hear Jared laughing cuz he's mic'd. So you can hear him laughing at the shit that doing It's really
0: it's really like that to me. Again, cuz I'm telling you, I want to do it, we're going to do an episode that's just on supernatural fandom. Yeah. Like that is one of those moments that is like really pivotal to fandom yeah. and really yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um and so I lo- I love it. It feels it feels it's not in the episode itself, but it's so it feels so important to it
1: the before we talk about the last song that we chose i want to just um we want to mention a couple others yes ready for love oh god
0: we <laughs> i mean we talked about this scene but, true. um when dean and anna are getting it on in the back of the car
1: <laughs> with to the to the right for love song <laughs> it's so on the nose like it is so there um i love long long way from home when we go into the past at after school special, it is like it is it's another one where supernatural goes harder than it needs to. And it's just so silly as you see like little Colin Ford and like teenager Dean get out of the car. It's so Ridiculous, and I love it. Yeah,
0: um, they also switch up. This isn't like a classic music thing. The score of Monster Movie is totally phenomenal and really like makes like really like drives drives it home. Yeah,
1: it makes it like if it didn't exist, like that that episode would be black and white and silly and whatever. But like adding the music and really elevates it. But the last song we chose
0: a well respected man and he's all so good and he's all A PR morning edition.
1: It's time for this waste and well man
0: about town. You're doing the best thing you saw.
1: One of the best openings of an episode of Supernatural. It also, again, harkens back
0: to Mystery Spot for me because it opens on the alarm clock and the music is coming. Yeah, oh, that song starts in the alarm clock. Mm-hmm. Um, the best part of that sequence is when Dean gets in the car. Into
1: the Prius,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. They live in California. <laughs> And Dean gets into the car, but there's something playing on the radio, definitely rock, and he's like, "Uh," and changes it. To NPR. To NPR. <laughs> and then he g- g- walks into the office, and it's playing, a- and a well-respected man is playing again. It is very well done. And it's it, very on the nose, because, like,
1: that's super Oh, natural. no, sure. And it goes all the way through Sam and Dean seeing each other on the elevator. Uh-huh. And it's the first time you're like... Oh, so Dean's not just okay. Well, it's Dean. <laughs> so it's not just Dean in a gin nightmare or whatever, like <laughs> something's up with the both of them. Yes. Uh yeah. It's a really I really love that opening. Let's um let's go through some of the like myth because there's a lot of mythology dumped on us this season.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, we like angels are introduced fully. Yeah. And everything that comes. For with the everything. first time. Yeah. In season four. Woof. You get a hint at it being a joke during Houses of the Holy, mm-hmm. but like fully, angels are introduced in season four, which is wild to me because angels are such a major part of supernatural. Mm-hmm. And so we just, it's just an avalanche of myth and, and lore about how, how these things work together that we are going to be able to unpack as we like add more things on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like hints at things, right? So, like the Enochian text, mm-hmm. they don't really talk
1: about straight on. It's mentioned, yeah. Uh, all that all that Cass says is like this symbol is Enochian or something like that. Well,
0: in uh, Death Takes a Holiday, there's Enochian all across the building, and so Cass says that that's why he couldn't get in. Oh
1: yeah, and and they use the um the the thing that banishes the angels. Yes, because, like they don't mention that it's Enochian, it's just another sigil. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: So it's like barely mentioned, but it's very much there. Archangels. Yep are mentioned in Monster at the end of this book with Chuck, and we don't really get that much more. I don't know who the ar- archangels are. We just know that they're, like, fury, like furious, fursome, I, I want to say. I don't know why fursome. Let's
1: look fursome? <laughs> Fuck. Sometimes I wonder if there's, like, two levels of archangels, because there are four archangels, right? Yes. They can't, all four of them can't be watching all the prophets, or is it, or is it true that it's just the four? Aren't
0: there only, isn't there only one prophet at a time?
1: There is only, oh, I guess so. that's only one prophet at a time. <laughs> I forgot to start that. over. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just like, I'll just. Mir, I'll just that. <laughs> it just seems weird to me that, like, you know, Gabriel is watching. So is Gabriel doing anything? Is I mean, Michael doing anything? I mean, Lucifer's in hell. I
0: mean. So Michael, we barely ever see, right? True. Like, yeah, no. Michael's just, like, hanging out. On a beach, drinking Mai Tais,
1: waiting for someone to threaten Chuck so he can jump in. Michael does not give. No, you know what? You know, the only one who's doing his job is probably Raphael. He's yeah. probably the only one actually doing his job. The other Archangels, one's, one's in the cage, and yeah. the other ones are just like dicking around. Oh, yeah. Gabriel's like,
0: screw, <laughs> screw the family. I'm having fun out Gabriel's here. Gabriel's
1: filming Casa Rocka episodes. <laughs> For fun, Uh, the angel blades. Yeah, about the angel blades, and And, like
0: how that's the only thing that can
1: kill an angel. And we don't um, see them kill demons, but eventually they will be equivalent to Ruby's knife and that they can also kill demons.
0: Yes, and I think that it's really interesting because like it's it's spoken of as though. Angels are the only ones that can wield it, and so an angel is the only thing that can kill an angel, and we see that complicated very quickly. Oh, super quickly. But I feel like in this season, it's really spoken of as though angels are untouchable beings, and the only thing that can kill an angel is another angel.
1: And then we talked a lot about the fact that um, Heaven's got ranks and garrisons. Yeah. Like, it is very much like an an, army. Yeah. More so than anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and Grace, Angel Grace is something you yeah, talk it's about, a,
0: Anna. Angel Grace is, like, a huge part of Anna's story. And it comes back and is really, really important. In massively important ways um, later. Yeah. When Cass loses his and... Metatron. Stealing. Metatron. And he's stealing Grace and all of that sort of stuff. And so it's really interesting to see it in this, maybe, like, the most simplest form. Like, it's just the, the power that an angel wields. I also think... So, uh, Angel's make supernatural very biblical very quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? As soon as angels show up, it's like there are, you know, you start to realize God is at play, there are prophets, there mm-hmm. are you know, all of these all of these sorts of things and grace is a really interesting biblical reference that they bring in mm-hmm. um, because I think, and first of all, I don't know the Bible. <laughs> Let me say that to start. Um, but the idea of God's grace and like how it's like the uh, like love or Whatever that is, mis- mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being blasphemous, and I don't know why. I hope I'm not
1: offending anyone. As <laughs> <laughs> we talking about a show that has actual Lucifer,
0: yeah. But as we, so, so, like the idea of grace being from a biblical sense, like the the love or whatever that God gives humans mm-hmm. without question. And it being this source of power for angels in Supernatural is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that it makes a lot of sense. It's like a piece of God that lives within each of the angels and kind of, like, fuels their battery.
1: Also, we forgot to write it down, but um, angels having vessels the way that demons yeah, have well, vessels. Yeah, but
0: they're very different. Yes. Because for an angel be- to be taken in, the person has to allow it. Yeah. Consent is important, guys. Yeah. Um, the more you know? <laughs> And so that I think is really interesting. We see that play out a lot with Cass mm-hmm. um and Jimmy and the relationship there and how Jimmy was pray- basically praying to Cass and Cass was kind of an answer to his prayers, yeah. but also how... Their vessels are still, it's similarly, like, they are similarly using the human body mm-hmm. um, to wage this war. And so the vessels are left in these, like, broken states. Yeah. And they're taken away from their families. And they are, I mean, it's it's the same just because angels, you know, say that the person wants it doesn't mean that it's not yeah. a, like, messy, vicious thing that they're doing. No,
1: Jimmy, I think Jimmy is the one that, that uses the um, the phrase, it's like being chained to a comet. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those things where we assume like demons do terrible things to humans, and they run around. They're they're awful, and you know they take people away from their families, and they and they are they're rough on the bodies, and like it's really hard for a human body to survive after being possessed, particularly if a demon like doesn't give a shit. I think even an angel who is careful with their with their human vessel is like so much power that it it can destroy the the human body anyways. Like depending on the power of an angel, like it can de- like we see it with Lucifer. Yeah. Depending on the power of the angel, we'll like it will burn out the vessel. We see it with Lucifer and Michael, and mm-hmm. yeah, Lucifer and Michael in yeah, particular
0: because if they're not in the right vessel with an angel that powerful it will burn it out and so we see michael burn out adam and we see lucifer burn out i don't know what dude's name is for (sighs) real
1: whatever whatever Uh, mark (laughs) pellegrino (laughs) (laughs) for now he burns out pellegrino
0: (laughs) yeah um and so that is really really interesting as Mm -hmm. well we gotta talk about the seals. Do you know how many we know?
1: I can uh, not count the bullets on the list. That don't is... be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I had to guess off the top of my head, I probably would have guessed like ten, but I don't actually eight. Know. Eight.
0: There are approximately six hundred seals. Mm-hmm. They need to break sixty six.
1: Only two of which are have to be one in and last. Yes.
0: So we got the again very supernaturally. We've got those uh, end cap. Mm-hmm. The you got the bookends of mm-hmm. uh, the first one has to be. A righteous man spills blood in hell,
1: and the last one is that the first demon shall be the last.
0: Yes, and so the Lucifer's first, which is Lilith, because she is the first demon that Lucifer made by like twisting a human soul mm-hmm. um, into becoming a demon. Uh, so those those have to happen in that order. And then the other 66 or 64 can happen in any order, and you've got a bag of 600 to pull from. Honestly, the odds were stacked.
1: (laughs) There was was no way that they were going to be able to stop this, which is also interesting when, like, Zachariah goes, you think we would just let these seals get broken? Like, yeah. That's a yeah, good point. Yeah, honestly.
0: <laughs> um, and so the ones that we see that happen are the Rise of the Witnesses.
1: Where we see the ghosts of Henriksen, Ronald, and Meg Masters, human Meg Masters. And then also the creepy twins who come for Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, those, those little twin girls are creepy. Kids are creepy. I Creepy kids are creepy. I haven't, I don't know how I've made it this far in
0: this podcast series without saying, but I hate creepy children. You you have, actually. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. It's the worst. Okay. Um, so, The Rise of the Witnesses, The Raising of Samhain, which is the Halloween thingy. Yes.
1: And if you didn't understand what Takia said, it's because for whatever reason in Supernatural, they picked the word Samhain and they said it the way it's spelled, You know it's compl- <laughs> Good job doing the research, guys. He says Sam Hain. It's not Sam Hain,
0: it's Samhain. <laughs> Uh, the uh, so they are supposed to kill two reapers on the night of the solstice. Mm-hmm. That one, they stop. Yes. So that's a, that's a you know, seal saved.
1: <laughs> it's the only one that we see them stop.
0: And the 10 species go extinct in Key West. These are the ones that uh, Rufus mentions. Rufus like, reads off to yes. Bobby. So 10 species go extinct in Key West, a fishing crew of 15 go blind in Alaska, and a teacher in New York kills 66 students. But yeah, so one of the things that I found interesting about the seals, they are a fascinating story. And I wish that we got them for longer than this season, honestly, yeah. but also I think that if you dragged it out it would have gotten boring really quickly. Yeah, how um, procedural
1: would have gotten if every episode was just trying, seal. <laughs> trying to stop another seal.
0: Um, so I really like the way that it's used in this season. The thing that I found that was interesting, one of which is that the Righteous Man Spilling Blood in Hell and the Killing of Two Reapers, we find out those seals or the details of those seals like straight up from Alistair and I feel like Alistair is like the is, like, the leaky faucet
1: on this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I feel like Alistair can't keep a secret. <laughs> oh, no, because he's, like, using it just to, like, pimp out his knowledge. Yeah.
0: And then I think that it's interesting because all of the seals are this, like, um, a frustration or a a destruction of natural law, right? So it's the idea of killing death. Yes. Right? It's the idea of a teacher killing students. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of... Um yeah a lot of it a lot of it seems to be this like corrupting of the natural order that the way things are supposed to be and that feels really relevant to the idea of bringing lucifer to mm. earth
1: yeah i like that a lot Outside of the seals, uh, we also get our first interaction with ghouls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see ghost possession, which yes. is a new thing. And Sam talks about how it's very rare, but we do see our first ghost possession in After School Special. Yes. And that's the first time I believe that we see, or maybe it's the second time because we see um, ectoplasm in Season 2. And um, uh, the ghost sickness, which is not a possession, but it's 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 something similar about there being a, a, a more physicality with the ghosts then.
0: Yeah, people. it's the idea that, like, the ghost can infect affect you. Yeah. I think that is really showing up both in the possessions and in the ghost sickness.
1: We've made it, y'all. There could have been many answers to this, but who was the most extra this season? Oh, come on! I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm awesome.
0: Uh, Ruby, Ruby, hands down, goes to Ruby Lover. The thing with Genevieve is that a lot of the moments that we see Ruby are kind of overacted. Mm-hmm. Katie Cassidy, I think, really sold like badass demon, like in between. And a lot of the moments with Genevieve where she is like kind of being a drug pusher with the <laughs> demon blood, mm-hmm. or she she and sam are sequestered off in some like haunt together and they're like a lot of it's like really big and so that carries through and it seems unearned at the beginning and then you get to the end Mm -hmm. and you realize that ruby has been playing sam for a chump the entire time and you're like oh okay i see what's going on here i
1: agree with you because watching it like it is one of those things where so extra i think most people do always say that they like blonde ruby better and i think it's first of all I don't think it's a knock on the actresses. I think it's purposefully written that way. Yes. I think you have to get this aloof cool demon because if you come in immediately being all sympathetic, it's all bullshit. There's no way you're going to believe this. Mm-hmm. So instead you get what blonde Ruby is. And then when Burnett Ruby comes in, like she is, she is working towards a different goal. I will say part of it also is like her seduction of Sam. Yes. That scene, first of all, there's so much more sex in this scene season than in previous. It's interesting. I'm like, what happened in 2009 that we were just like,
0: naked all the time? Well, and and Ruby is like climbing over Sam a lot in a lot of scenes that are like this like suggestive, like slinky. Yes. Like there is definitely a vibe of seduction happening throughout the season. No,
1: constantly. Like every time she's near him, she is like back and off of his shoulder. Like she's always a presence. Like we talked about, like you made a comment like back in episode one or two about the demon on Sam's shoulder. Yeah. And she... She very much has that appearance. Yeah. So like, I'm just here to help Sam, or I'm just here to stop the apocalypse. But like, she's almost like a like a pretty parasite. Yeah. She's just like you don't. He, Sam doesn't realize she's parasitic. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely
0: and this. I think goes back to this season being weirdly biblical—not weirdly, but like extra biblical. There is a there is a snake esque yeah. feeling mm-hmm. to it, right? There is a Sam is Eve in the Garden of Eden, and Ruby is convincing him to take a bite of that apple.
1: Yeah, and he does like a he couple does. of times. He does. Everything, everything Ruby does and you know what else she does it with a smile oh she does everything she does in this in this season she does with a smile I think it's really impressive too that like even when when we start to doubt Ruby it is not until and she's you can and that's
0: what I think that like her extraness comes from like working hard at her bowl. oh yeah she is at 10 she is like running into the wall she is going for it she has to. at every turn she is fighting really hard to make sure that Sam gets where he needs mm-hmm. to go yeah and it's like
1: the most yeah I don't I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing that she's the most. Like I think, And I think you're right. I think at first you're like, oh my God, you're so fucking annoying because you're so <laughs> big. And then when you get to the end, Yeah, all it's of the reactions armed. are big. Yes. There's also, I really appreciate, you don't see a hair out of place on her Uh -uh. until the moment that Sam listens to the voicemail that has been altered and it's he answers the phone and instead of Dean's apology, which we hear Dean send, it's you're a monster, don't you ever come back, I'll kill you myself, whatever that is, and Sam, you can see Sam getting worked up and he's like, Let's do it, let's drain this nurse. And at that moment is the first time you see the crack in her, where you see her like almost be like, I got it. Yes. Like this is it's this is this this fish that I've been baiting, he's hooked. And then again, more obviously, when Dean shows up and she slams the door behind her, because uh-huh. you see the look on her face. Oh, yeah! But like, like that's the obvious moment. But like, she spends the entire season not, not there is no part if you did not know the ending where you can call out a moment where she is. Yeah, where you see a glint of her going yeah. bad.
0: Honestly, give it up for Ruby.
1: I love Ruby. <laughs> I'm sad she's gone, but also never forgotten. Gone, but not forgotten. We love you both parts. Ruby's a great character. Yeah.
0: And I think that's it.
1: Holy six hours, guys. (laughs) Sorry. We apologize for how long this is. But also we don't, because I would listen to it. Oh, it's... I'm going to listen to it. It's
0: chocked full of greatness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just like all of us. Um, Thanks so much for listening, guys. Remember the fun package. Rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) If you like the show, let people know. And let us know, because um, like Sam and Dean, I need constant reassurance that you like me.
0: <laughs> you can find us on all of the socials yep. on instagram and facebook we're at extraneous dot pod and on twitter we are at extraneous pod
1: no dots there Woo! <laughs> you can also, also you can also get us at extraneous at gmail.com if you want to send a longer email and, and again just like like hit us up let, let us know talk about supernatural do you love season four as much as we do probably because you got to the end of this episode so Uh, it's just a commitment
0: (laughs) thank you we love you we love Supernatural
1: we love you less than we love Supernatural but we love you all the same (laughs) I didn't say that (laughs) Leah says that